Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Man, that was a really good outing. Uh, pounded the zone with everything, uh, sinker and slider. Played well. A lot of swing and miss on the slider. They didn't see it well. I was playing really good off of the, the sinker. Um, but overall, that was a really nice job to get us through through seven. That was Ollie Marmel last night talking about Dakota Hudson and his impressive outing. Hey, man, credit where it's due. You guys know I am not the biggest Dakota Hudson fan. Audio courtesy of Bally Sports Midwest. But that was a nice outing by him. Took a no-hitter midway through that game. Ended up giving you seven innings. He's the first pitcher for the Cardinals. Not named Jack Flaherty, Jordan Montgomery, or Miles Michaelis to go at least seven on the Cardinals season. Gets through seven. Gives up just two hits in that game. Three earned runs. Did have the three walks, but most of those came later. Seven strikeouts, which was nice to see out of Dakota Hudson as well. Alex, this is your boy, but yesterday. No, we don't have to go back to yesterday. Yesterday. No. This is what Alex Ferrario said about him. Just make it a revolving door Ugh. of Libertor, Thomas, Graceffo, McGreevy. I don't need as much as I love Dakota Hudson, and I'll give him his eulogy if he's not a Cardinal over in the offseason. But I don't need to see that anymore. Oh. Saw it. I actually think Dakota Hudson wouldn't be worth, depending on what he's going to get in the offseason, as a bullpen arm. But I'm not going to pay him five, six million dollars to be in my bullpen. Look. Wow. Look, that we, was 24 hours look, ago, man. No, less than 24 hours. You flip flop more than I do. Look, All when right, you get into <laughs> look, when you get into fights with people that you love, sometimes in the midst of rage, you say things that you regret. You regret when you stew on it for 24 hours you know you go and sit in silence in a dark room and think about how cruel you were it comes back and bites you and you recognize like hey that was that was too aggressive maybe i need to pump the brakes a little bit and when i saw dak do yesterday i said sir sir i remember this and this this was an ace this was the ace caliber and you know what what made it even better with dak was after the game when he, he then quotes michael g scott and says, I'm not superstitious, but I'm a little stitious about okay, not changing his jersey. You know what? He's winning you one quote over a time. Uh, one, You're winning damn you right. Over. Take two. One quote at a time. Here's what Dakota Hudson had to say after the game last night. If Wayno's not moving from his seat, I'm not changing uniforms. Uh, just I, not that I, not that I'm uh, superstitious, but I'm a little. Uh, a little so, yeah, a little stitious. See, right there, right there is what we needed, Dak. You showed us what you had. And look, there was something that somebody tweeted me last night. And I thought it was perfect. He's not the ace, or I'm sorry, he's the ace St. Louis deserves, but not the one it needs right now. We'll hunt him because we can take it. 
because he's not our hero. He's the silent guardian. He's the watchful protector. He is the Dak Knight. Thanks, Joshua Jacobs, for tweeting that to me because Dakota Hudson's back. He is bleeping back, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the rotation. If Steven Matz can turn it around, Dakota Hudson can. Do you honestly believe that? No. Because apparently Randy Carricker does. You want to hear what he had to say earlier today? You wouldn't be alone. You've got good company. Here's Randy earlier today on the opening drive. Guys, the Cardinals need pitching, right? Mm. What if I offered you a starting pitcher that won twice as many decisions as he lost? Mm. What if I offered you a pitcher that had a career-earned run average of 3.64 and over his career had averaged 6.3 strikeouts per nine innings? What if I offered you a pitcher like that? That pitcher's name is Dakota Hudson. I knew this is where you were going with that. (laughs) You just need to get the guy reps and let him pitch because when you have let him pitch, his 162-game averages are 13-7 and with a 3.64. Maybe the guy just needs an opportunity. There's a reason he didn't read the walks per nine. <laughs> that was was one bad season. Also, like the six strikeouts per nine yeah. innings. <laughs> I'll take that. He's, he's, he's a pitch to contact kind of guy. That wasn't the worst in all of Major League he's Baseball. He's a pitch to contact sure. kind of guy. Look, I'm not. He com- was bad in AAA this year, guys. Well, he just never Can really we got keep the opportunity. Some stuff in perspective. He never got the opportunity. What I said yesterday he was too every aggressive. Day down there. What I, just I got like the barbecue down. What there. I said yesterday was too aggressive. I think he can be one of the guys that you put in your rotation, but I'm not relying on him to be in my rotation. Does that make sense? Like, he shows you the ability to get you one good start every once in a while. Guess what, Dak? You you gave us some hope, and maybe they'll throw him out there once again. But what I'm not going to do is see one good start against the Minnesota Twins and say, oh, boy, howdy, Dakota Hudson in my rotation. You can compete for it next year, sir, but I'd like to see this five more times before the end of the season. And you're not going to see it. You know why? Because his next start's scheduled to be against Tampa Bay. And by the way, he should make that start. You earned it. You go seven innings, you give up basically nothing from the opposition. Yeah, you've earned the right to go out there for your next start. I'll give him that, if nothing else. Like, I'm not a completely cold-hearted jerk. Yeah, you are. Just mostly a cold-hearted jerk on this show here on 101 ESPN. I... Dakota Hudson, listen, it's not about opportunity. He's gotten plenty of opportunities here in St. Louis. He hasn't been healthy. If you can't make it onto the field, that's that's a you problem, man. And like I feel bad for him because he's a pitcher and this is how it goes. Pitchers break. When he was healthy, he was a pretty darn good pitcher, Alex. He hasn't been healthy in a long time, and now that he is, he's not the same guy that he once was. Same conversation that we had with Jack Flaherty, but not the same upside as we talked about with Jack Flaherty. Dakota Hudson had a six, six. ERA down in AAA this year. That's AAA. It's not the majors. He allowed 13 hits per nine innings while he was down there. His whip walks and hits per innings pitched was nearly two. All of this is his AAA statistics against lesser opponents than what he would see in the big leagues. This is not about opportunity for Dakota Hudson. This is about a lack of execution. He doesn't get it in the strike zone enough, and when he does... A lot of the time he's nibbling and then he leaves a cookie out over the plate. He doesn't have the kind of stuff that you need to be really a strikeout type of a guy. Dakota Hudson is a perfectly fine number five starter for a non-contending team. And that's what the Cardinals are right now. So go ahead, throw him out there. That's fine. But if Dakota Hudson is your number five starter going into next season, I think something has gone horribly awry for the Cardinals this offseason. I don't think it's a bad thing having them in the conversation, though, for next season. I don't think you should completely write it off and say, well, Dakota Hudson's not back next year. Because, frankly, you're going. yes, he has not been good over the last few seasons, which is why I made my aggressive statement yesterday. Sorry, Dak. But he is the only one that's got 
actual innings at the major leagues, depending on what you do the rest of the season with some of these guys that you're going to be relying on next year for that fifth man spot. I don't think it's the worst thing in the world if Dakota Hudson is cheap in the offseason to say, hey, you can come back and be a part of this competition. You're not guaranteed anything. You might end up in Memphis next year. Sure. But if you show us that you want that spot, maybe you get it. Maybe you're a bullpen option for us next year. I'm not so quick to say that I'm completely done with Dakota Hudson. That's, if he's going to make two and a half million bucks in the offseason, they want to bring him back. That's fine because it's not going to really prevent you from doing anything else. And worst case scenario, you option him down to AAA. He's still got options next year. No. I'm totally fine with that. But if he is the first name that is written in that fifth spot, I think something's gone poorly in your offseason because Dakota Hudson does not have the kind of upside that I would like to see out of my fifth starter. And frankly, the downside is more significant than what I would like to see from that fifth starter going into next year. So he he's the worst of both worlds, right? There's not a whole lot of upside that is installed instilled with Dakota Hudson, and the bottom can fall out at any moment. Not enough upside. Look at t- 2019. Yeah, it was a different pitcher. And he like, still had the majors in walks. If we're going to talk about 2019, we're also doing the same thing with Jack Flaherty. We did. Right? And we it, shipped him off. Exactly. Because exactly. he was going to cost you too we, much. And because, like, even if he wasn't, I, I don't know that that's the guy that I want at the front end of my rotation. If I could reasonably say Jack Flaherty was going to be $5 million next year, and he was going to be your number four starter, I would love to have Jack Flaherty in that spot. But he's not. He was going to cost you $20 million, and he was probably going to slot in as your one or two. Dakota Hudson, it's a very different conversation. It's about the number five spot, but the opportunity cost there is what matters. Would I rather have Dakota Hudson in that spot or like 55 other pitchers? The answer is the latter. So he gets his next start, and we'll see if he can build on this, but... I don't want him being in my rotation next year. In a best case scenario, he's probably either in a middle innings long relief role or pitching for me down in AAA as like major league ready depth in my in my organization. That's how I view him long term. And I think the most likely outcome is that he's non-tendered this offseason. If you want me to be totally honest with you, I think he's going to end up getting a four or five million dollar arbitration number. And I don't think that he's worth that to the Cardinals. And that Phoenix will rise from the ashes elsewhere. Yeah, Kansas City probably, where he'd be like number two in the rotation. But no, I think you're right. I I think right now the plan is not for him to be in any conversation for the five-starter right now. I I think he can kind of pitch his way into that if he continues to build opportunities and looks as good as he did last night. But that's a long road to get just to the point where it's like, you know what? If we squint, Dakota Hudson can be our number five. So it, he's got a tough road to get into that opportunity. Even after last night touting, I think he's probably a non-tender candidate because they're going to have enough depth down in the minor leagues that can fill the five if they need to next year. So I, I, he's got a long road to do, but I agree with that. I'm not writing him off yet, but it's going to take a lot for him to earn the spot where so I say he's a number let's five. Let's talk about it. What does that mean for you guys? Because for me, I'm out. I'm just, I'm out. I, I don't think he's, there's nothing he can do for me to go into the offseason expecting Dakota Hudson to be the number five starter. Watch that no hitter come in the for, next start. For you guys, what would it look like if Dakota Hudson did blank? You two would then write him in as the number five starter for the Cardinals in 2024. I mean, I don't know if there's anything concrete that he would have to do. I think you've put yourself in a position where you don't have a lot of options going into next season for the number five spot. Like, I'm not sitting here acting like he's going to come back and be the number three next year. You've got 
three or four guys that we've named that could be in that competition for the number five and the entire free agent and trade market great but i think that entire free agent and trade market is going to cost you more to get a number five starter than what you would pay to go to hudson and i I would much rather spend the extra 10 million dollars it is to get a jose quintana on the market i'd rather put that to a number one a nola or a snell or a giolito i'd rather allocate that money elsewhere why not both because you don't do that. You're not the Mets. That's thinking right there. You're not the Mets. If this was Steve Cohen run organization, I'd say the hell with it. Let's no, pay. We'd, we'd be five. rebuilding. Let's be honest. Let's pay. Let f- me ask this a different way. Clark Schmidt or Dakota Hudson? I mean, right now I would say Clark Schmidt. Yeah. But I think I think it's kind of the same in terms of what he could potentially provide of what a Hudson can. If Hudson's right, I think the, I think I think the, the upside the is guy. significantly different. From well, Clark. I just because, don't think there's not a lot of upside because you're, you're, you're horned up on Clark Schmidt these yeah. days, my man. I, I'm not. I think I know exactly what Clark no, Schmidt you are. is. You're ready to trade Dylan Carlson for Clark Schmidt. Yeah, have you seen Dylan Carlson lately? I don't I have, have any regrets about that. Keith Law tells it's us he's going to be great. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Hey, T-Bone mentioned uh, the, the Mets, or Alex, you mentioned the Mets. And you talked about the money that they're willing to spend and how the Cardinals are not that team. Well, if that's the case, why does everybody nationally seem to believe that the Cardinals are going to contend in 2024 and the Mets are going to take a sizable step back? Why is that? We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. not looking just for simply like a ball depth um you know if we can find talent that we think can help um emerge in 2024 that'd be great 2025 i wouldn't rule that out either but 2026 seems a long way away that was john mosaloc a few weeks ago talking about how far they're looking into the future at this year's trade deadline of course they ended up acquiring a whole lot of guys that project to at least reach the big leagues at some point in the next calendar year or so alongside alex ferrario and tanner hendrickson i'm brandon kiley alex one of the things that's come up over the last couple of days or so after the trade deadline is that it sure seems like the mets are ready to take a step back They're going to reset the books, try to get themselves back into contention in 2025 or 2026, and that's when they're really going to push it again, put their pedal or push the pedal back down. Meanwhile, the Cardinals are doing the opposite. The Cardinals are taking a step back right now to really go for it again in 2024, or at least that's what they're saying publicly. Why do you think that is? Why is it that the Mets feel that they need to take this step back while the Cardinals are ready to go for it again in 2024. When the Mets are the team that you expect to spend more money year year in and year out. I would imagine because the Mets are realizing what the Cardinals realized this year, that their minor league system was pretty depleted. And when you spend all of the money on Scherzer and Verlander and Quintana in the offseason and think, well, we'll just... We'll overload what our major league team looks like and not worried about the minor leagues... Well, when injuries take place, when Max Scherzer can't stay healthy or when certain guys just aren't living up to the expectations, you have to rely on that minor league system. It is a give and take when it comes to Major League Baseball here. So I would imagine the Mets just realized later what the Cardinals realized this season. Like, hey, we're going to have to update this and we're not competing. So let's make these moves. Seemed like the Mets were trying to accomplish that at the deadline. They just couldn't get it done. So next year might be in terms of taking a step back to say, Let's really focus on finding guys that can 
replenish our system that can contribute when we're ready to compete, then we can spend all of the money. Yeah, I, I think that is a part of it. And I and I think that they realize that, that look, if we're going to be a team that's going to have long-term success, we've got to have more minor league depth than we do right now. But I think the number one thing, and I know teams don't like to say this because it's the classic, oh, we're not paying attention to the rest of the league. We're worried about our own business. I, I think the Mets look at their division and go, there's no way for us to spend as much money, get better in terms of depth as a whole in our system and compete in the National League East because the Braves are just a juggernaut. Especially if you look at the free agent market this year. Yeah, like I, I think the Mets just look at their division and go, man, even if we spend, one, we we need to develop young talent in our system, which we were very much lacking. And two, if we spend, the Braves are still a team that without even making offseason moves and not even knowing what the offseason looks like, I can tell you right now the Braves will go into next year being the favorites in the National League East compared to the NL Central where the Cardinals can look at it and go, yeah, shrug emoji, who's going to be the favorite in the NL? We may fix our rotation. We're probably the team that can get back atop the NL Central. So I think the division has a lot to play into this. And I know MLB teams will say, oh, well, we're taking care of our own business. I think Cohen realized, look, we're far off from competing with the Atlanta Braves, and they've got all their guys under a contract for years to come. And it's not just about free agency and spending money. Like if you don't have the assets in your minor league system, that you can trade to get major league ready players well you're not going to put yourself above the rest and that's what the Mets don't have I think it's because of young position player talent I think it's really that simple look at the Cardinals guys that are under the age of 30 next year that could legitimately contribute in a meaningful way in their lineup Newtbar, Gorman, Walker, Edmund, Carlson, Donovan, Burleson, Herrera, Wynn. That's nine guys that I just mentioned under the age of 30, most of them 25 or under, that are probably going to contribute in a meaningful way next year offensively. Here's the Mets list. Alonzo, he's 29 and might not be back next year and is entering an expiring uh, year on his deal. And then it's Beatty, Vientos, and that's pretty much it. They've got one other guy, their catcher, uh, the catching prospects that's up right now. Alvarez. That's it. Alvarez. That's it. They've basically got three young dudes that are contributing, and two of them this year have been so bad offensively that uh, they've spent most of the year at AAA for them. I think that's the biggest reason why there is so much optimism here and so much pessimism in New York. They got old fast, guys. Think about the players that they signed last year to be a part of this winning window for them. It was Eduardo Escobar. It was going out and getting Mark Canna. These really solid complementary pieces. The examples of those players on the Cardinals are all young and cost controlled. Like the Eduardo Escobar here in St. Louis is a guy like maybe Alec Burleson or you could argue Tommy Edmond. Their version of Mark Canna is like Brendan Donovan for the Cardinals. They don't really have the equivalent of Nolan Gorman. Maybe you could say he is their equivalent of Pete Alonso, but Gorman's 23 and has six years of cost control. Meanwhile, Pete Alonso has one year of cost control remaining, and he's about to turn 29. So as much as it is about the money and all of these different things, and like I understand why there's real pessimism here in St. Louis. The reason why there's optimism about next year is because of how young they are and how cost controlled they are on the position player side of things. Alex, this gets me back to one of the reasons why they got to go for it next year. Set aside the young players for a minute. I thought MLB Network had a great conversation yesterday with Brian Kinney and Dan Plesak on why they believe that the Cardinals should and will legitimately go for it again in 2024. You get rid of Goldschmidt, you get rid of Arenado. Oh, yeah. Who do you hang your hat on to? Where, where do you hang your hat going into 2024? Look, 
if the Cardinals win the division next year, I'm wrong, right? Because they can roll it all back next year. They can win it all. However, you sometimes need to take your foot off the accelerator. If you want to go every year, hey, we're going to have a winning record, you might find yourself in no man's land. So I think he gets to the right explanation there, but a different conclusion is what I have for the Cardinals from what Brian Kinney just stated there. If you are going to keep Goldie and Arenado, you have chosen your path. You have now decided for the offseason which direction you need to be heading in, Alex. And the Cardinals' plan now needs to be we have to surround them with the best talent possible. I thought that should have been the plan going into this year. I thought it was a misstep that they didn't surround them with more talent, specifically on the pitching side of things. But that is a lost cause, and that's in the, in the rearview mirror now. Going into next year, that's why you've got to go for it. That's why you've got to trade some of this young talent for legit cost-controlled stud pitching is because you were able to keep Goldie and Arenado. You replenished your system with the expiring deals, and now it's about going into next season and really trying to win in a meaningful way again. Yeah, I mean, what you did last year was the equivalent of, like, when you want to get into a pool and you put your foot in, you say, no, I'm not getting in. It's too cold. And so you back out. Like, your foot in the pool was Wilson Contreras. And you said, ma, it's too much money. Makes me a little uncomfortable. That was good enough for us, and we'll figure it out. What you need to do is you need to cannonball in because – you have Goldschmidt and Arenado. They're not getting any younger. Now you have these young pieces that you are hoping can be, and we're seeing this season, can be real contributors to an offense and be one of the best in Major League Baseball. It's time for you to do what the Rangers did. Yeah, it's time yeah. for you to look at this and say, we've got the talent. Now all we got to do is either spend some of these assets to bring in the actual talent on the pitching side or just go throw money at it. Let's jump right in and make this team competitive with what we have. Guys, the thing that's really interesting is the Cardinals are not all that dissimilar in the way that they're building from the Rangers. I know nobody really sees it right now because it's hard because of the pitching side of things. But when you look at the position players, Marcus Simeon and Corey Seager, your examples of those are Paul Goldschmidt and Nolan Arenado. The infield like staples that are going to be there for years to come that you've paid big money to be a part of that future, the foundation of your future. What the Rangers did last offseason was completely overhaul their pitching staff. They went out and they got high upside starting pitchers that can help them this season. That's what the Cardinals have to now go out there and do. They've got to find their equivalent of Nathan Avaldi. They've got to find their equivalent of John Gray. They've got to find an upside candidate like an Andrew Heaney. And then, yeah, if you want to, you could go out there and get a legit stud. Now, there is nobody quite like this, but like a Jacob deGrom that, if he's healthy, can change the outcome of your season. Like, that's the Tyler Glasnow move, right? You go out there, you sign him, or you trade for him in the Glasnow example, and you hope and pray that he ends up being healthy. But you give yourself the internal candidates for the rotation where if he's not healthy, your season is not completely crumbling because of it, right? That's what the Cardinals need to go into this offseason and do. One of the guys that's going to be in charge of doing exactly that is Michael Gersh. He's the Cardinals general manager. He's going to join us coming up next year on 101 ESPN. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. 
You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. You're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. Happy to go out to the 101 ESPN hotline to be joined by the Cardinals general manager, Michael Gersh. It's been a busy week here in St. Louis. Gersh, Moe, and Randy Flores have all been working hard to get the best deals possible at the trade deadline. Gersh joins us now via the 101 ESPN hotline. Michael, we appreciate the time as always. Let's start with what the last week has been like for you. A lot of Cardinals fans wonder, what, what is this week like for Michael Gersh, for John Mosey? lock for Randy Flores. So take us inside of that room. How is the work divvied up between the three of you in particular? Well, I think it, first of all, it's a bigger group than just three of us. There's, there's, there's a lot of people who are part of the process um, from the scouts out in the field, to the analytics guys who, who produce all the data that we need to make decisions. Um, so it's, it's a big process, player development, figuring out where guys are going to go and how they're going to fit. So the, uh, I mean, the process really started shortly after the draft ended. We, we actually, even before the draft, we started making some exploratory phone calls. Um, Moises Rodriguez, Mo and I each took some teams and, and made some just basic introductory phone calls before the draft just to sort of have an idea of where people thought they were going. Obviously, things changed in the last you know, couple of weeks of July, depending on how teams play. But um, it starts early. You start uh, going through teams' prospects and and you know, controllable players to identify players that we'd be interested in or guys that would fit for us well and, and, you know, get second looks on scouting reports where we can have guys review video where we need to, uh, you know, flow runs point on a lot, a lot of that stuff. And then ultimately we just, we're, we're, you know, in a room for the last few days, you know, reacting to phone calls and, and going through lists and deciding what offers, what counters and when to be aggressive and when to let the clock run and, hope that the other side gets nervous before we do sort of thing. So it's, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a lot of moving parts. I, I've never been part of a deadline like this. I've, it's my 18th season. We've never done anything like this before. So it was a little bit new for all of us, but uh, I hope to never do it again. So, Michael, I imagine you're, you're like the, you guys are the, the kings of multitasking. Like, have you mastered the art of holding three phones with somebody on the other line at once and talking to all three of them? Funny, like at times it's like really busy and you really are like you got multiple things going on, especially like the last couple hours of the deadline. At other times, it's a lot of sitting around like like you counter somebody or you make an offer or you make an ask uh, and they either say, well, I'll get back to you or let me take it to my group or whatever. And then then you kind of sit around and stare at each other for a little while and try to think. Like, this makes so much sense to us. Why don't they just agree with us? Sort of so. Our text line's like that a lot, Gersh. They, they, they send out a lot of great trade proposals. So uh, whatever you guys don't want and you have, like, the best player in the league, that's typically what, what our text line sends. So I feel like a lot of teams would uh, would be interested in some of those yeah, we'll offers. We'll you those proposals, Mike, if you want. <laughs> Yeah, I think we're good for now. I think we're good. <laughs> so I do want to go back to something you said there about Flores and uh, some of the evaluations that he's had. A lot of the guys that you acquired at this year's trade deadline were parts of recent drafts. So how much do you take into account, you know, some of what the draft rankings were, or what you guys had down as their profiles at that point in time versus what they've been so far down in the minor leagues? Yeah, I think, I think you have to be careful 
falling in love with a high school kid that you saw three years ago and still still holding on to that if what he's done since then has been dramatically different. I think that's something that, on the other hand, if we have information about what kind of kid he is or, or background or anything else, and, and he's that, that can be helpful. So it's, it's sort of a fine line between, um, you know, using information that's old, but, but also having a history on a player. You, you want to have history. You want to know where he's been and where you think he's going and what kind of player he is and how he's improved. But, you know, just because we liked him in the uh, 2021 or 2020 draft doesn't mean that that, you know, should have a whole lot of weight in July of 2023. Michael, uh, Mo talked prior to the deadline about pitching, 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 focusing really on 2024, and we didn't see a whole lot of cost-controlled, major league-ready arms moved at this year's deadline, but how would you classify you and your team's aggressiveness at that deadline of trying to acquire one of those cost-controlled young pitchers? Well, I think one of the things to keep in mind is that teams who are competing this year for the playoffs don't want to trade cost-controlled starting pitchers. They, they need them. And, in fact, they need more of them. That's why they're in the market for guys like like Flaherty and Montgomery who are not cost-controlled, right? So I think the idea that, that you know, look, last year the Yankees, we were able to identify a team like the Yankees who was competing while we were competing, and we had extra outfielders, and they felt they had depth in starting pitching, and we, and we made a trade for a cost-controlled or a controllable starting pitcher at the deadline with a, competi- you know, a team going for it. And that's just, just very rare. So – we certainly explored it. We certainly talked to teams, but you know, very few teams are in a position where they have so much starting pitching that they're willing to give you something that is controllable beyond this year while they're trying to win the division or go to the playoffs or win a World Series. So, um, had discussions, but nothing that really made sense for us. And so we'll revisit those, you know, in the off season when it's uh, a, a lot more pitchers are available to talk about than they are in July. That was my follow-up. Does that just counter the discussions and then you revisit them again in the off season? Does it begin more discussions potentially? I think, I think there are definitely teams we had discussions with about starting pitching, about controllable starting pitching, about their interests. A lot of teams were interested in our controllable position players. And so we have a better idea now of, of what teams are, are excited about which of our controllable position players that, if it makes sense, we'll, we'll revisit it in you know November. And, and if things change between now and then, then we'll go in a different direction. But certainly there were some of those discussions might lay the groundwork for, uh, for off-season discussions. Michael Gersh is the Cardinals general manager, and he's joining us now uh, on the 101 ESPN hotline here with BK and Ferrario. Uh, Gersh, I did want to ask you uh, about some of your own players that you maybe learn about at the deadline as teams are calling or you're calling other teams. How much did you learn about how other teams value your players that maybe even still remain on the roster? Yeah, I, I think we have a very good position player group. And, and the position player group that we have for the rest of the year, all of them are controllable going forward. And I think that was very evident that a lot of teams listed a lot of controllable position players that they were interested in. And I sometimes would say, I don't understand how we have so many guys that everyone's interested in, and yet we're selling. Like, this is not how the year was supposed to go. And most of the most of my peers agreed. They're like, yeah, I don't know how you guys are in this spot, but we like. And then they listed like six of our position players or eight of our position players. And um, so I think I think we learned that we're in a good spot on the position player side. And obviously, we we need to improve our pitching. Obviously, we need to do a better job, you know, with with base running and defense and one run games and all, all sorts of things have gone wrong this year that that we need to to clean up going forward. And I, and I have confidence we will. But I do think we're in a really good spot on the position player side in terms of guys who are here, guys who are coming, guys who we control, it's, it's a good spot. 
So, Michael, that's that's the one thing Mo did talk about in the offseason was that the model that the Cardinals have gone about for the last however many years, it's going to be tested this year. And he then said that, yeah, we might have to tweak this model or change this model. How do you view that model being tweaked or changed going into this offseason? Well, I think we have we have still two months of baseball to see kind of where we stand going into the offseason. So I think I think sort of having a plan right now that doesn't make a ton of sense. The the, the, the uh, we'll see how some of these guys who get opportunities to pitch to either start or or guys who we give opportunities in the bullpen how they do. We'll just have a better idea where we stand at the at the end of you know at the end of the season than we do today in terms of our depth and and where we are. Um, but we do. We, 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 we do have to look at our position player group and figure out who we want to bet on and, and who might make more sense to use, uh, use as trade bait. We're talking to Michael Gersh for another few minutes here on 101 ESPN. Uh, Gersh, when you look at the players that you were able to acquire at this year's trade deadline, and specifically on the pitching side of things, is it fair to believe that any of those guys will be competing for a legitimate rotation spot by opening day of next year, or is this more uh, depth that can be used at some point next year? Um, I, I think as we sit here today, it's probably unlikely anyone is competing out of spring training for, for a position, for, for a, a rotation spot. Um, I think uh, Drew Rahm is the only one who has a lot of pitching experience at AAA. Um, the other guys have mostly been at AA. All of them had a lot of success at AA, and we're sending uh, Robert's and Klopfenstein straight to AAA, so they'll have you know, whatever it is, eight or 10 starts at the end of the year here uh, at AAA to sort of, to sort of see how that goes. Um, but I think this is a group that gets added to guys like Graceffo and McGreevy and puts us in a spot where we have a, a, an entire roster, entire rotation of, of major league prospects at Memphis going into next year to give us good insurance behind, um, behind whatever we end up with in the rotation. And you, and you never know. I mean, I don't think it, if you had asked me a year ago at this time, would Jordan Walker be breaking camp with us? I would have said I highly doubt it. And and he had a great finish of the year, great fall league, and a great spring, and, and things change. So, um, but I don't think we didn't trade with any of these guys intending to like ink put them in ink as the uh, a spot in the rotation. My, Michael, you've been with the Cardinals for some time now. Can you remember a time with the Cardinals where, where this team has had such a long laundry list of things to accomplish in the offseason? Well, I, I, so I would sort of push back on that a little bit. I, I think our, our laundry list is actually relatively short. It's just it's pitching. It's starting pitching. Like We need a couple starting pitchers. Um, we've gone into other years where we need we, we've had you know, this year we had we needed a catcher. It was obvious, right? And a starting pitcher, um, and we brought back Wayno and, and signed uh, and signed Wilson, right? And so I, I think I don't think we have a longer list. I think it's just a more concentrated list. I think if instead of needing a couple starting pitchers, we needed one starting pitcher and a pitching player of some sort, it would be a little bit more of a quote unquote normal offseason. Um, but our needs are all on the pitching side, and and we'll uh, we'll attack those when we get to the offseason. How do you attack the bullpen, uh, Gersh, as you look towards the offseason? And I know I'm, I'm sure the rest of this season will play into it, but how do you view your bullpen right now with the options that you have and how important that's going to be to bolster in the offseason as well? Yeah, I think the biggest thing we need right now is is to see Ryan Helsley get back on the mound and, and pitch healthy the rest of the way and pitch well. I think an anchor like that at the back of your bullpen makes a huge difference. And, and knowing where we stand with, with, uh, with Hells 
before the offseason will be a big part of kind of figuring out what our bullpen needs to look like. But then guys like Gallegos, Colante, Romero, they've all been pitching well. We need them to continue to pitch well and show that they're clearly part of it. And then the, the, the rest of the guys that we have who, have who have options and have flexibility and get an opportunity here to see how John King looks and see how um, you know, the rest of the guys that will be coming up and down throughout the rest of the year, how they can run with their opportunities. I think that's it's an opportunity for these guys to sort of stake a claim to a, to a, a, a bullpen spot in the next two months. And, and some guys kind of already have those claims, and we just need them to keep pitching well and be healthy. And, and others hopefully can step up. And that internal competition is always good, Michael, and you're going to get that evaluation from the bullpen. Do you feel like there's still an opportunity to uh, evaluate or compete in terms of outfield positioning, or do you feel like your team kind of has an idea of that outfield and who fits where? No, I think there's definitely an opportunity for, there's, you know, a couple hundred plate appearances still, still at each of the three spots plus the DH spot and, and between, you know, Carlson and Lars and O'Neill and Walker and Burleson, they'll, they'll each get plenty of opportunities to sort of continue to establish who they are as big leaguers. And, and that's part of what we'll learn over the next two months. How do you guys view the future of center field, Michael? Um, I, I, I don't, I mean, I think we, we think we have several players who can play center field and we'll sort of, again, over the next two months, see how they all perform to give us a better idea of what, the, the short-term future of center field looks like. I think Dylan and Lars both have shown they can do it. Um, I think Tyler O'Neill has the skills to do it, but I think it just makes more sense to keep him in the left field. And I think, you know, in the longer term, Victor Scott has kind of rocketed up our, our uh, awareness board as he had a great year at A-ball and now at double-A and stealing bases and getting on base. And um, he's sort of not in the not in the short term, but in the in the medium term, is sort of pushing his way onto the radar as to what center field might look like. You didn't mention Tommy Edmond there. Do you do you foresee him getting opportunities in center the rest of the way this year as well? I think I think at some point this year he might play some outfield. I think our we have outfielders who need plate appearances, and so they'll be getting the bulk of the outfield plate appearances. I think the fact that Tommy Edmond can be an above average center fielder and above average shortstop makes him incredibly valuable, and and makes it so that you can enter a season with some with some question marks, knowing that Tommy can be plugged into a few different spots. Um, and it's entirely possible, depending on how things go, that, you know, when when we have the opportunity to bring, when it makes sense to bring Mason Wynn up, and when he's ready to get an opportunity in the big leagues, if he runs with it, then that would free Tommy up to, to compete with that center field job, for sure. And that's my final question. We'll get you out of here on this, and we sincerely appreciate all the time today, Michael. Uh, when you look at Mason Wynn and the factors that go into the timeline of calling him up, what are some of those factors that you guys are looking at right now? I think part of it is just Mason has had a really good couple months in AAA, and he's, look, he moved quickly through our system. He got to AAA quickly. He scuffled a little bit early in the season, and he is now having real success in AAA. And part of what we want to do is sort of demonstrate he can continue that. Like having a good couple weeks at AAA is a great step, but the game of baseball is about endurance and and, and repeating the, the, the success over and over again. And so before we push him on to his next challenge, we want him to show that he has continued success in AAA, and um, and he's been doing that. And it, as long as he keeps doing that, I think you know there'll be a time. But before the end of the season, I think there's very likely to be a time where he gets an opportunity up here. There's no magic thing he needs to do. There's no magic moment. I mean, it's, some of it is just showing that he can sustain that success, you know, in the long term, and then we'll give him a chance to 
step up here and, and show what he can do down the stretch. Michael Gersh is the Cardinals general manager coming off of a very busy week with the trade deadline now behind him. Michael, we appreciate you taking the time to talk with us today. Hopefully we'll talk again soon. Best of luck the rest of the way. I appreciate it, guys. Thanks. Thanks, Michael. That's Michael Gersh joining us here on 101 ESPN. Really appreciate him hopping on with us today. Thought there was a lot to get into there. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. We'll get to questions and answers here in just a few minutes. Biggest things note-wise for me that I found to be interesting. Uh, Among the pitchers that they traded for at the deadline said he would not expect any of those guys to be written into pin in their rotation going into opening day of next year. Uh, That is noteworthy. On the bullpen, he specifically, when you asked about the laundry list of things that they need to do this offseason, said, hey, we need a couple of starters. Didn't really note the bullpen as as big of a need as maybe we would be looking at it on the outside looking in. Said Helsley, Gallegos, Palante, Romero, those were four arms that he specifically mentioned as probably factoring into their plans going into next year. That leaves four other spots that maybe are up for negotiation right now. And then the other big note that I had, when I asked about center field, waited and then said Dylan Carlson and Lars Newbar, and then said, you know, Tyler can play it, but probably best in left, did not mention Tommy Edmonds' name until asked a follow-up question about it. Found that to be a little bit interesting as well because he was somebody that we had heard about maybe factoring into their long-term plans in center field. So those were my biggest takeaway. Alex, what were yours? Uh, the, the ones that you had, I mean, obviously my bigger takeaway was him saying that the laundry list isn't as big as we think it is, which a little alarming. I understand what he's saying that it's really only one position and two players, but I think there's more to that than just that. The other thing was when we asked him about how aggressive they were at looking for cost controlled arms at the deadline. And he said, we've called around and he said, we found out that a lot of teams like our young cost controlled players, which makes sense. And it sets up the conversations for the off season, which if that's where they were accomplishing this saying like, yeah, we'll touch, we'll touch base again in the off season. And it seems like they realize now that, look, we're going to have to move some of these arms or some of these these position players if we want the arms that we deem necessary. Yeah, I, I found that to be interesting. And I think we all kind of assumed that that was the case. I, I did find it surprising that he pushed back on the bullpen as being something that they may not have to address necessarily in a aggressive manner. I, now, part of that could have been kind of uh, posturing to where, like, teams are, we already know, like, if we know Major League Baseball knows they need starting and pitching. there's no getting away with it with the rotation. Yeah, Everybody the, else sees what yeah. the Cardinals see. So, they, like, them saying we need a couple of starters is not news to anybody. They could at least say, hey, we feel like we've got internal yeah. options with the bullpen, whether so, they believe that or not. And it tells I, you they're confident think, with the outfield, too. Yeah, and I think that was kind of potentially what Gersh was getting to there because I, I have a tough time seeing how they can look at the most blown saves in baseball. And I understand what he's saying with Helsley, but Helsley blew a lot of saves, too, while he had opportunities. So, I, I think that was interesting, their, his thought on the uh, bullpen, and I think it was interesting that he did not mention Edmonds' name in center field. I, I think their hope is that Carlson or Newpar wins kind of that center field job moving forward here in the final, what do we got, two months of the season, and if they don't, and they don't take away, run off with it, and with Newpar, I don't necessarily mean his offense, I mean just looking good defensively in center field, then I think they, if Wynn shows he can play shorts up, then they'll plan on Edmond at center field, but I think he's kind of the 
break glass in case of emergency starter for center field opening day next year. Coming up in about 10 minutes or so, we're going to talk to the lead fan graphs analyst on their prospects list. He is super high on TK Roby, the pitcher that the Cardinals got in return in the Jordan Montgomery deal. He has him as a top 100 prospect in all of Major League Baseball. So we talk to the fan graphs lead prospects writer coming up in about 15 minutes or so. But coming up next, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. If you guys have any questions stemming off of that interview with Michael Gersh, we'll answer them coming up next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe it's PK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. 9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers. Just finished up a conversation with Michael Gersh, Cardinals General Manager. If you missed it, check it out on the podcast page after the show today. 101ESPN.com and the free 101 ESPN app is where you go to find that. To recap a few things that he said, he said, uh, doesn't expect any of the pitching additions that they made at the deadline to immediately factor into the rotation on opening day of next year could at some point next season but more likely serving as depth to start things out and then we'll see where things go in 2024 said that he is a little more confident maybe in their bullpen than other people on the outside are mentioned helsley gallegos palante and romero as factoring into their plans when asked about center field and what they see as the future out there brought up dylan carlson and lars Nupar. then said tyler o'neill can play the position but probably not ideal they're going to keep him in left did not mention Tommy Edmond until asked specifically about him and said, hey, when Mason Wynn gets back, maybe that's when you'll see him out there a little bit. But uh, reading between the lines a bit, wouldn't expect that that's their primary plan in center field in 2024. That does change a little bit what I had been saying previously. Let's get to some of your guys' questions on the text line. The Alex, this one comes from the 314. Do you think that the Cardinals brass believes that this year was just a blip and they are not as worried about the team long-term as we are. I think the Cardinals view that as a blip. I mean, you should view it as a blip if you're a Cardinals team. Like, you have two guys that have MVP candidacy. You have a great offense. You realize that it was a pitching problem, and you made the wrong decision. So the blip for the Cardinals team is, okay, we messed up on the pitching. We got to go out there and get more competent starting pitchers for us and we feel that we accomplished adding pieces to our depth this trade deadline. So, yeah, they view this as this was a bad year and we don't expect to do it again. Yeah, I think they view it as a blip. I think they view it as, you know, we overvalued what we had in our pitching staff, and now we know we've got to change that model and look for swing and miss stuff and not this pitch to contact the way they've been doing it. Now, where I do find a little alarming is we'll see how their development plan changes with pitching because they still have a lot of guys in their system, even after the deadline that are a lot of pitch to contact, that'll be the thing to keep an eye on. And it's a little alarming that they view the bullpen as the way that Michael Gersh seemed to view it in our interview with him. But I I think they do view it as a blip and time will just tell. We'll see what they are next year. I think they should view it as a blip. I think you have to based on what your position players are right now. Position players year to year are much more sticky. And what I mean by that is you expect their abilities to kind of remain somewhat status quo, right? You can project pretty well what Aaron Judge is going to do year to year or what Mike Trout's going to do year to year. It's much more difficult to make that same assessment on pitchers. So if you were built around pitching, 
it becomes really difficult to project what your next season is because the gap between the top and the bottom is so much wider. Position players, you, you kind of have a pretty good idea of what Nolan Arenado is going to do every year. He may have some slumps, but it's going to be 35 home runs, 100 RBIs, and he's going to bat around like 270 plus with an OPS right around 850. Same thing's true for Paul Goldschmidt. I think we're getting to that status now with some of their other position players as well. So you have a pretty good idea of what they're going to be. Now you got to go surround that with the necessary pitching, and that's where they get to the biggest question going into the offseason. From the 314, guys, do you believe that Aaron Nola will be a future Cardinal, yes or no? I would say no, because I don't think the Cardinals would be willing to meet the necessary requirements to get him. But if if he's available and the Cardinals are willing to go to that that length, I would say more than likely. Uh, I'm going to say no, because I think he's going to get the QO on him, and I just don't know how they're going to go in the offseason. I don't think they want to give up their second-round pick again. Carlos Rodon last year got six years and $162 million, so it's 27 per year. I would think Nola will have more value on the market because of his consistency and making a start every fifth day, basically. So let's say it's six years at 30 a year, $180 million in total. Do you think the Cardinals, A, would be willing to do that, and B, should meet that asking price? two kind of different questions should they will they i think they should yeah they, yes they should no will, they won't will they they're gonna have for me to ever give them the benefit of the doubt they're gonna have to go do it mm-hmm. sure and that, that's the thing is like i just haven't seen them do it and again i i'm one of those that up until like recently has been saying hey i've never seen the cardinals up front office react to a season like this because it's never happened so maybe they do become willing to do it but until i see that happen i, I just can't i can't sit here and say i think they're gonna do it yeah, I, I I don't think they will. They are going to have to prove to me that they're willing to spend $30 million and go five to six years. I think they should. And if it's not NOLA, then insert another name here. Blake Snell, Urias, Shohei. Like, you're going to have to go for one of those guys because your team can't afford to, to miss out on one of those top arms. I'm starting to think they might. I'll say they won't because of what you guys are saying, the skepticism, but they know they have to adjust their model. They know that. Should they? For Aaron Nola specifically, that's where I actually get a little more squeamish. I don't know, man. I really don't. The conversation that we had earlier this season about Shane Bieber and whether or not he was the right guy for this Cardinals team to bet on long term, it's basically the same conversation to a lesser degree with Aaron Nola. Strikeout stuff is down. Velocity is down. He's a really good pitcher that's going out there every fifth day, but is he about to go through a period where he becomes Miles Michaelis? And if so, is that worth $30 million a year? Because you're not paying for what he was. You're paying for what you project him to be really for the next four years, because the last two years, whatever, you'll live with it if he ends up being great over the next four. Can I project him to be great for the next four years of his career when we're seeing stuff decline from him. Not to the degree where he's bad. He's not. He's a pretty good pitcher still. But he's pretty similar this year to Miles Michaelis. I don't know, man. I don't know. It, it, it is not as much of a slam dunk as I thought it was going to be coming into the season because his numbers are down almost across the board this year. Not in a alarming way, but in a way that is meaningful. So that's something to keep in mind as well. Coming up next, one of the lead fan graphs writers wrote earlier this week that one of the Cardinals prospects he views as a top 100 prospect in Major League Baseball. He'll tell you who that is and why he's so high on him next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the peak. Mother's Day is around the corner. 
Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. And Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Alex, when the Cardinals made a trade at the deadline with the Jordan Montgomery deal that ended up sending him down to Texas, they got back in return TK Roby, a starting pitching prospect that everybody seems reasonably high on, but there was one person in particular that had him ranked higher on his list than others that I had seen, and that was over at Fangraph. So right now we go out to the 101 ESPN hotline to be joined by Eric Longenhagen. You can read his work over at Fangraphs.com. You can follow him on Twitter at his last name, Longenhagen, L-O-N-G-E-N-H-A-G-E-N. Eric, we appreciate the time, man. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. How's it going? It's a million degrees in the desert still and waiting for that heat to break, but it doesn't seem like it's going to anytime soon, so I'm just sort of cooped up in the house still here after the deadline. It's actually like reasonably nice here it's been raining for the last 24 hours but we'll take it because it cooled things off so we we hope that you get something similar out there in the desert uh eric i did want to ask you about some of the moves that the cardinals were able to make at the trade deadline and let's start with the pitcher that i mentioned tk roby you're really high on him at least based on the uh, available numbers that we've seen what makes you so high on tk roby the pitcher that the cardinals got back in the jordan montgomery deal yeah i mean this was a guy who they you know, the Rangers drafted out of high school and gave like just shy of a million to. He got like 775K to sign. And uh, that was the 2020 draft. And, you know, there's just weird stuff happening as a result of you know, the pandemic. Like some of these guys really broke out on kind of a delay. Uh, and in Roby's case, some of that happened because he was injured for a chunk of 2021. And it wasn't really until last season into this season when things really took a leap for him. And before he was shut down with another injury this year, this guy's sitting 94, 95, a huge riding life and a monster breaking ball, like that two pitch mix working the fastball at the letters. And then the curveball off of that is like your modern power pitchers foundation. Uh, and he's always thrown a ton of strikes. Like, you know, he's a little bit undersized. There's, a little bit of mechanical violence happening there. I understand why there are some folks who think there's relief risk here. Uh, but I think, you know, he's got a, a mid-rotation starters four-pitch mix and a strike-throwing track record that indicates he has an opportunity to hit that ceiling if he can just stay healthy. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I, I really like this guy. He's 
before he got shut down, we were talking about a guy who was within a stone's throw with the big leagues at Double A, and so I think he's got a chance to kick down the door next year, assuming he's healthy and, and being the big. Uh, Eric, I know it's hard to do player comps, but when you look at him and when you see how he goes about his pitching, does he remind you of anybody? Yeah, I mean, it's he really is, and I and I make the comp uh, in his scouting write up on the site is that he is like a less physical Hunter Brown. He doesn't have that prototypical six three, six four workhorse starter body. You know, he's sort of like a a skinnier six one, uh, but absolutely has that you know vertical riding fastball at the top of the zone with the breaking ball that plays really nicely off that as you know the the foundation of what he's he's doing and uh, the changeup I thought had come along enough this year that that's a third plus weapon for him as well and yeah just really has that like. Houston Astros archetype uh, repertoire and style where, you know, it's all about ripping that fastball past dudes at the letters and, and everything else plays off of that pitch. And so, you know, I, I thought he was, he's very exciting. He's really the, the pitcher in that, you know, from the Rangers org, uh, who Jack Leiter was supposed to be when he was drafted. Uh, it was supposed to look like this. Um, and Roby's like, you know, sort of, whizzed past him and is still younger than lighter. And so I thought, yeah, so this was a really good get for, for the Cardinals. And uh, of all the pitchers who moved at the deadline, I thought this, as far as prospects were concerned, you know, that Roby was the most talented one. Eric Longenhang, it is our guest here on 101 ESPN. You can find his work over at Fangraphs. He does great work writing up all of the prospects over there. Uh, Eric, when you look at the returns that the Cardinals were able to get, they focused mostly on pitching, as we just talked about there, with Roby being the highest upside player. They also got a couple of infielders in uh, Preto and Sagase. My pronunciation. So JC, dang it, I was close there. With the infielders that they were able to acquire at the deadline, do either of those guys uh, get you excited about what they could be here in St. Louis? I think they're both. I guess the, the distinction that I would draw there is those two guys are players that you can win with, but they're not going to be guys you win because of. They're pieces that fit nicely together, actually. Like, Prieto is not a very good defensive player. He's all about back-to-ball skills. Uh, super difficult to beat in the zone. This is a guy who, like, you know, broke several Cuban hit streak records, uh, you know, before he defected and came over to the U.S. two years ago. Uh, really talented left-handed hitter without a ton of power. He's not a very good defender. He just makes a ton of contact uh, from the left side of the plate. And then Skeezy is... You know, right-handed hitting, playing all over the infield right now is probably not a big league shortstop. My my threshold for, you know, projecting someone as a big league shortstop defender is pretty high, and so I have him more projected second base, third base mix, uh, hitting from the right side. And, and for how skinny Sagifi is, like, he, if you walk past that guy on, on the street, you wouldn't realize that he's a pro baseball player, which isn't sort of a yellow flag for me, I guess, uh, like, these guys do need to have some amount of overt physical talent for me to like really want to project highly on them. Uh, but this guy can hit like he's old school, no batting gloves, his hitting hands are it's a beautiful swing. Uh, the quality of the contact is very precise. So he's, you know, power on contact is surprising for how kind of skinny this guy is in the wrist and the forearms. Uh, and on paper, like it's, it's, Big time barrel rate and lift and like quality of contact when you're looking at his underlying stat casty, you know, minor league metrics exciting in that in that from that standpoint. So I like both these guys some. 
Uh, I don't think any of them is a plug-and-play everyday guy, but I do think that there are nice pieces that, especially you know, in concert together, kind of gives you that raise type of vibe where you have these dudes platooning and being versatile and moving around, allowing your manager to play matchups uh, within a game. Eric, going back to the pitching, we, we talked about Roby and the uh, ceiling for him. The, the the main thing that the Cardinals are searching for for 2024 is pitching help, whether it's in the rotation or bullpen. Do you see any of these arms that they acquired yesterday being pieces that could come out of the bullpen potentially next season for the Cardinals? Yeah, I think, I think between what they got and uh, who is already in the org, that they have a lot of, like, optionable rotation depth that there's like, you know, every team every year has so many injuries, especially to their pitching staff. And you just need to have enough bodies around to deal with that. Um, are any of these guys like slam dunk late inning relievers? I don't, I don't think so, but I think that as far as like having the potential for depth next year, not only is Semro Bercy, who they got from Toronto in the Hicks deal, and Adam Clawson sign as well came over in that trade. Both those guys are probably going to be put on your 40 man at the end of this season and are likely to debut at some point next year. And then you have the upper level guys who, you know, you guys know and have heard about the Gordon Grisefos and stuff of the world uh, who are also within range. None of these guys is like an impact star level starter. They just have so many guys, Ian Bedell and, you know, even like the Cooper Jerpies who are more polished than they are, like, talented. Uh, any of these guys are within range of the big leagues for next year, but I don't know that any of them is going to, you know, none of them is like a rookie of the year candidate or anything like that. So they definitely have more depth on the way than they do star power, but you need that. Like, you absolutely need that to be able to compete. And I think within their division, which is one of the weaker ones in baseball, uh, that they'll be in the mix next year, but they're definitely not, like, light years ahead of of the rest of this group. Eric, the final question that I've got for you is on a prospect that might legitimately compete for that rookie of the year consideration next year. And I think that's why we haven't seen him yet. And that's Mason Wynn, uh, the young shortstop that's now down in AAA. He's been tearing the cover off the ball over the last few months, really adjusted nicely in a way that honestly, I wasn't sure we were going to see from him at that level. What do you project Mason Wynn to be, and what can we expect from him reasonably whenever he does come up probably in the next few weeks here in St. Louis? Yeah, I have Wynn projected as like a plug-and-play, everyday shortstop. I don't think there's going to be, you know, the fact that he's got 16 bombs already this year is like kind of surprising to me. I don't think there's quite that much power. Like a guy who's tracking to, who's on pace for like 25 dingers is, probably not really what we're looking at there. He's sort of a smaller guy. But the fact that he's he's the same age as the college kids who just got drafted <laughs> and has performed the way he has at the upper levels of the minors. And you know, he's obviously very, very talented in some in some other ways. But um, yeah, I do think he is the shortstop of the near future. I don't think he's going to be like a Carlos Correa, Bo Bichette type of player, but uh, certainly someone who's going to stabilize that position for the next five, six years for the Cardinals uh, and feel, you know, be in that 10 to 15 range. If we're just lining up all of the shortstops at the big league level uh, over the next five years, I do think that Mason Wynn is a top 10, top 15 player at that position. who's going to make a ton of contact, uh, do some ridiculous stuff with his arm. There, there are people in, in baseball who, especially when Wynn was, here uh, last fall for the Arizona Fall League, and we all got to look at him for six 
weeks, you know, we're just like, this guy's an unbelievable athlete. I don't know if he's a hitter still. Like, his arm is so tantalizing. The idea that that could be on the mound was still interesting to people at that time. But he's proven it at this point. Uh, so, yeah, I think he's a slam dunk everyday shortstop here for the next half. Eric, you study this stuff more than anybody else. So I wanted to ask you one follow-up question here. About 30 seconds left. Is there anybody that we didn't ask you about in the Cardinals system that really gets you excited, that has you dreaming about what they could be? Maybe it's next year. Maybe it's five years from now. Gosh, that's a good question. Yeah, you know, the the guy who they signed last international uh, period, Reiner Lopez, who's still like 17 and a half as we're sitting here right now, is like a six foot eight projectable righty who, uh, you know, is like a deep, deep projection arm. Uh, I, I really like him. I like Leo Bernal, the, the teenage catcher who's uh, been in A ball this year, just really well rounded, uh, switch hitting catcher. I think that Bernal is the guy who, you know, in the lower levels of the system is the one who has a chance to be a primary, you know, everyday hitter at, at, a, at a position here within. Probably going to be a little bit of time just because catchers take a while, but Leo Bernal is the name that Cardinals fans should be following at the bottom of the system. You can read Eric Long and Hagen's work over at Fangraphs.com. Eric, we appreciate the time today, man. You bust your ass over at Fangraphs, and we appreciate you being able to break some of this down for us here on BK and Ferrario. Thanks for having me, guys, anytime. You got it. That's Eric Longenhang joining us here on 101 ESPN. Always appreciate his time. Guys, Reiner Lopez is six foot nine. Yeah. And he said, and, and the piece that I'm looking at right now says he reminds them of a lot of Sandy Alcantara at oh. that same age. Oh, we got Sandy back, boys. Oh, great. We're going to train him for another mid-level outfielder that can't climb that's the wall. That's how they wall. get Mike Trout. Three years from now, they're trading him for Mike Trout. Oh, with a back that's basically in a walker? Yeah, it's fine. He'll be your DH. Dude, you, he, you don't have enough of him. Dude, he's six foot nine. Yeah. That also, sounds I, like uh, I don't know how it, well, I do know how he's 17 years old. He's 196 pounds at six foot nine. Yeah, he's real thin, but yeah. he'll be great. But he's six foot nine and 17 pounds. That might be like the tallest pitcher in baseball because what's that kid from Baltimore? Uh, Cano's like what, six, or no, Cano? Cano? Well, Dylan Batista. Batista, that's who I'm thinking oh. of. Felix Batista. Dylan Batanza is our Batanza. I forgot how to pronounce his name. With the Yankees for the long time. Last year he was with the Mets. Yeah. He was six foot eight, and that man was a beast. Yeah. And Batista's like six, six seven, eight. I think. And six, what was eight, Andrew six, Miller? Six, Andrew Miller was Remember six Remember last seven. year when the Cardinals faced Batista, and I looked up his uh, baseball reference profile, and it said he was 220 pounds. Yeah. He's now yeah, listed at 285. <laughs> they fixed that yeah, for him. I figured. It's like Jumbo Diaz. You know that guy's bigger than yeah. that. Felix Bautista, by the way, is like the best reliever in all of Major League yeah. Baseball. Oh, you think the, the Orioles one. will trade them to the yeah, Cardinals? Probably, yeah. You give them like two I'm surprised years. they didn't get him for Jack. <sighs> Underperforming Cardinals once again. Looking back Should to what we heard from, that. from Eric there, the TK Roby comparison that he made was Hunter Brown, the starting pitcher uh, that they have in the Astros rotation right now. Dude, if he became Hunter Brown next year, I like the amount of quickness with which I would hit the button for that. Is that happen. better than Clark Schmidt? Yeah. Okay, so you got your Clark Schmidt there. Yeah, Can absolutely. you stop it with this Clark Schmidt stuff? I don't I like the <laughs> chances of him becoming Hunter Brown immediately are pretty slim. Uh so I'm not going to like expect that to happen, but if by mid-season next year Roby is in your rotation or he's at least a spot starter and he shows signs of being that, that gives you a lot of hope for 25. That really what they did at the deadline and we said this at the time, guys. It was more about 2025 than it was 2024. You're hoping to hit on one, maybe two of these guys for 2025. And if you do, you feel great about it. Maybe one of those guys is in your rotation. One of them becomes a trade chip. Maybe one or two of them are in your bullpen. Like That's that's kind of what you're hoping for. That would be a pretty good hit rate from what they've been able to accomplish. Yeah, I, I think the goal was that these guys would be 
if they were going to be quote unquote contributors in 2024, it was as depth guys. Like you hope you don't see them unless you have to see them. And then 2025, it is okay. Hopefully they can knock on the door and, and take somebody's job. Or I don't, Michael is, I think still under contract, Max still under contract, depending on what you do in free agency this year, you could still have a spot open. You hope that they take somebody's job. Because like you said, if Roby becomes Hunter Brown and he's your quote unquote number five, yeah, that's that means you probably got a pretty good rotation. You that's know, a good problem. You yeah. know how you don't see them in 2024? Actually, do something in the offseason. Well, no, but I, what, I, what I'm saying is injury. not, yeah, injuries. What I'm saying is, yeah, like, but I think there's guys ahead of that that where you wouldn't have to worry about that in terms of injuries, right? I, mean, I don't know. I mean, Roby probably going to be in Triple A. You've got, uh, wouldn't you think, McCreevy, Yeah, it, but like Roby's like probably a higher, I think he's already higher in the prospect, like MLB pipeline than, yeah, but Graceffo. knowing how the Cardinals work, they're going to want innings for a Triple A pitcher, especially one that's missed a lot of time. May, I mean, Maybe, but what he's saying is they could just do a like a spot start here or there. Like yeah. if if a guy goes on the ten day IL and you need two starts out of that fifth starter spot, could TK Roby get that opportunity over Michael McGreevy if it's mid year next year? Yeah, he he absolutely could because the upside for TK Roby it's worth finding out how batters at this level adjust to his stuff. It may end up going really poorly. Remember Matthew Libertor last year, for example. Um, but th- I think that's the role that you could see him fill next year is what Matthew Libertor was for the Cardinals in 2022. Not what he's been this year, but what he was last year when he got, what was it, five starts at yeah, the big league something level? Like something like that is probably what you're hoping for next year out of TK Roby. And if he does, it means that he's advanced past some of those guys that we've been talking about for so long. I, I just don't know what Graceffo or McGreevy are going to be for the Cardinals. This is something that I think is a long-range conversation on how do they project them? Because if if you can't really count on them to be starters next year, is it two years from now? Is it three years from now? How far off are they? I don't know the answer to that. Guy who's very close to the big league level is Mason Wynn. We talked to Michael Gersh about him earlier today. We'll let you hear what he had to say about him next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Mason has had a really good couple months in AAA, and he's look, he moved quickly through our system. He got to AAA quickly. He scuffled a little bit early in the season, and he's now having real success in AAA. And part of what we want to do is sort of d- demonstrate he can continue that. Like, having a good couple weeks at AAA is a great step, but the, the game of baseball is about endurance and, and, and repeating the, the, the success over and over again. And so before we push him on to his next challenge, we want him to show that he has continued success in AAA. But before the end of the season, I think there's very likely to be a time where he gets an opportunity up here. There's no magic thing he needs to do. There's no magic moment. I mean, it's, some of it is just showing that he can sustain that success, you know, in the long term. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. That was Michael Gersh on Mason Wynn earlier today. If you missed our conversation with the Cardinals general manager, you can check that out on the podcast page after the show at 101ESPN.com and on the free 101 ESPN app. Alex, I found it interesting what he had to say there because honestly, it just sounds like they're waiting this thing out until his rookie eligibility for 2024 is still going to be in play. I don't think that there's a reason to continue waiting this thing out with him if it's just about performance. Nothing's going to change in the next two weeks that makes you feel better about Mason Wynn the rest of the way. Not a AAA. What's going to happen that changes between now and the next two weeks from now is, does he maintain his rookie eligibility for 2024? And honestly, I don't blame them for doing that. It's smart. 
I want him to be up right now because I'm an impatient fan. And I just want to watch Mason win right now with the 100-mile-an-hour rocket of an arm that's coming over from shortstop. But if they're saying to themselves, hey, it makes more sense. It's two weeks. Let's wait it out. Let's see what it looks like for the final six weeks of the regular season. And we'll get him everyday opportunities at that point. That's fine. But that's, let's be honest, what this is really about, right? Yeah, of course it is. And again, like you said, I don't blame them for that. I can understand the reasoning that Michael Gersh offered. But to me, I think he's shown the consistency at AAA level to be ready for the major leagues. And if all that's standing in the way of calling him up is a couple of more weeks so you can maintain that rookie of the year status, fine. I mean, it gives you an opportunity to give some shortstop plays at Tommy Edman and Taylor Motter, like, cool, fine. Bring them up, though, because when you do bring them up, I want to see them at shortstop almost every day. So AAA has had a bigger high offensive output this season in general. So keep that in mind as I'm mentioning these numbers. There's just been a lot of offense that has taken place down at that level. But since May 1st, Alex, this is what Mason Wynn has done offensively for the Redbirds. In 70 games, he's batting 300. He has an OPS of 885. He's hit 11 doubles, 15 home runs, five triples, all of this coming in the last 70 games, a per 162 game pace. This is what his offense would stretch out to be, Alex. 25 doubles, 32 home runs, and 110 RBIs. Jeez. Again, I want to bring this back in a little bit. You shouldn't expect that to be what he does at the big league level because pitching down there has not been as good as it's going to be what he sees up here at this level. That being said, man, you couldn't have asked for anything more this year out of Mason Wynn, dude. His ability to transition to the AAA level after a really rough start to the season has been nothing short of impressive. So he has earned this opportunity down the stretch that he is very likely going to get. And if it's just going to be another couple of weeks of waiting and for those wondering why would they want to maintain that rookie eligibility, it's because if he wins rookie of the year next year for the Cardinals, because he was a top 100 prospect, they would be able to get a compensation pick, which, hey man, if you're telling me a 10% chance of winning rookie of the year, waiting for the next two weeks would potentially get me a top 50 pick in next year's draft, it's worth it. It is. It sucks. I hate that it's worth it, but waiting two weeks for that kind of makes some sense. I don't think this is about contract status or anything like that. This is just about maintaining that rookie eligibility for the potential drop pick or draft pick compensation. Yeah, and though my biggest kind of reason I want Mason went up here is I want him to see how Major League Baseball pitching kind of pitches him so he knows what to work on in the offseason. That doesn't change waiting another two weeks. Like He's still going to have an idea of how teams approach him in that adjustment period. He may come up here, and because there's not a whole lot, I mean, there's still a ton of scouting reports on him, but he may come up here and have a two-week hot stretch before Major League Baseball truly adjusts to him. But that that's still going to be plenty of time for him to see what the adjustment is and how teams are getting him out and what he needs to work on in the offseason. So I understand the Cardinals playing it out. I I am just the impatient fan, just like you, to where it's I like, it. yeah, I, I want to see him because let's be honest, there's not a lot of excitement watching the Cardinals right now. So the more prospects, the more guys that I can see that they've talked about in years, the more exciting it is to try and watch them play and wins one of those guys for sure. Apparently, if they get second or third in rookie of the year voting, they get the team a international pick. There you go. A so, little bit more bonus money. Or the Cardinals, like that. they love their international bonus money. I mean, money. it makes sense. I, I really do understand why they're playing it this way. I, again, it's frustrating, but I, I get what they're trying to accomplish there um, by, by waiting it out a little bit. Somebody on the text line said, can we not overestimate what he's going to be and try to make him out to be the next Albert Pujols the way that we have done the last 20 prospects? Not the Albert Pujols, but the next Francisco Lindor. <laughs> I, 
we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. If he becomes next year what C.J. Abrams has been this year for the Washington Nationals, I think you'd consider that to be a success. C.J. Abrams this year with the Nationals has 10 home runs. He has an OPS plus about 5% below league average. He's basically been a slightly better slugging percentage version of Tommy Edmond at the plate. But he's stolen 25 bags. He's driven in about 40 RBIs, and he's not striking out a ton. I think that's kind of what you should expect next year out of Mason Wynn offensively. Slightly below league average, looks awesome defensively, so that's one place where he does separate himself a little bit from Abrams. I think he's going to be better defensively than what C.J. Abrams has been for the Nationals. And if you become that, I think that's pretty good. As a rookie-level player at the age of, what, 21 year, or 22 years old next year? Man, that's a really nice season. This has nothing to do with the expectations being too high for him by the time he gets up here next year and everything to do with give me a competent rookie to play a premier position and make my team competitive so can I I can spend the money that I would be spending on that position elsewhere. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I'm not spending the money on Paul DeYoung right now. I'm spending it on a pitcher because Mason Wynn is making me competitive. And one of the other positions that you could be doing something similar with is center field. How do the Cardinals plan to position themselves in center field next year? The rest of this season could have a big big explanation as to what that'll look like next year. We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Count that, that big bang. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Guys, I want to have a conversation about what the Cardinals are going to do in center field. Because it, when you look at what they have available to them right now, they've got a lot of guys that can play center field. Lars Dubar can play out there. Dylan Carlson can play out there. Tommy Edmond can play out there. Technically, I guess you could say that Tyler O'Neill could play out yeah. there, but I prefer not to go down that path again. He's got to quote the skill set. As long as he doesn't dog it. It's a lot of players that are having the capability to go do it, but not a whole lot of ga- players that really project to ideally play in center field. So earlier today, we asked that question of Michael Gersh. What does the future of center field look like here in St. Louis? Here's what he had to say. We, we think we have several players who can play center field, and we'll sort of, again, over the next two months, see how they all perform to give us a better idea of what the, the short-term future of center field looks like. I think Dylan and Lars both have shown they can do it. Um, I think Tyler O'Neill has the skills to do it, but I think it just makes more sense to keep him in the left field. 
And I think, you know, in the longer term, Victor Scott has kind of rocketed up our our, uh, awareness board. So Victor Scott is a couple of years away. That's more like 2025 that we're talking about there. For next year, Alex, if they're going with internal options, I find it interesting that he did not mention Tommy Edmond there as a potential center fielder for them. He didn't mention him until well, maybe he after just we talked about it with him. I think he's got a pretty good idea Edmund, of whose options are out there. Edmond's been hurt for a while. He talked about Lars Newpar and Dylan Carlson as two players that are likely to get opportunities out there in center field. I think that's what you should be doing the rest of the way. Just finding out what those guys look like in center field. And honestly, I think the majority of the time I would be giving to Lars Newpar. I know I'm going to get crushed on the text line for this because everybody suddenly loves Dylan Carlson. Yeah, he's so After young. After last year, everybody said, how could you possibly keep him in a Juan Soto deal? Like, okay, fine. We've flip-flopped there, except that we're the ones that get called out for it. I'll do it to you guys. Text line. That felt a little passive-aggressive. Yeah, there was the no passiveness final? about yes. that. Squirt him. Ridiculous. Come so, on. Dylan Carlson, guys, this year. Unbelievable. He's batting 225 on the season with a slugging percentage for the second straight year below 400. It's not what you want as an everyday player. Meanwhile, Lars Nupar, guys, I'm ready to have the conversation about if oh no, this guy over here, T-Bone, was just flat out wrong on Newt. Last night, hits another home run. The power is starting to come around. You look at the numbers on the season. Oh, he's now batting 280. Could have showed up in August. Getting on base 38% of the time. He's slugging 450. And if you look at his numbers overall, he's basically right now putting up prime Ben Zobrist numbers. Which, Ben Zobrist, while not a superstar, was a guy that you could win with batting in the top four of your order every single season for the entirety of his prime. Did it with the Rays, did it with the Royals, did it with the Cubs. So when you look at what Lars Nupar is right now, Alex, let's focus on the offensive production and then we can talk about his defense. Is he a guy that you could foresee as an everyday center fielder for the Cardinals next year offensively? Sure. I, I don't see why not. He's shown it. And I mean, frankly, you've got a lot of pop elsewhere that I'm not worried if Lars Nupar doesn't provide the pop. Now, he's got the on-base, which there are a lot of guys that don't have that for the Cardinals, and I think that's a specific set of skills. His defense has shown you that he can handle it, but offensively, yeah, I, I'd be fine putting him out there every day as my center fielder. Yeah, I, I don't mind putting Nupar out there every day as the center fielder. I, I think long-term he projects in a corner, but I think they're going to view next year in center field like they did with shortstop this year. Honestly, the last two years, where it is, yeah, we've got the guy internally that's going to take this job at some point, and Victor Scott, like in shortstop, it's Mason Wynn. We'll just kind of plug and play right now till we get to that point. Because you said Victor Scott probably 2025. I think you're right on. I think they're going to go into 24 with kind of just a guy that – Newbar, Edmund, Carlson, one of those guys is the starting center fielder, and he's only going to be there for a year, and they can just get by with it until Victor Scott is ready. But yeah, I think Newbar's a guy that can play center field for you. I think he's I think he's average, slightly above average out there in center, but he's got the arm to play center field too, which is another thing that I I personally want in a center fielder, someone that's got an arm to help try and cut down runners at the plate or when they try to tag up on fly balls. But I, I think he can play in center. I think he just projects better in the corners more than likely in 25. Do you guys like Randy Rosarena? Uh, yes. What kind of what kind of stupid question is that? What a leading question. Do you guys like offense and home runs and a good defender? No. I don't want that. Give me Dylan Carlson. Can I give you a comparison of Randy Rosarena and Lars Newbar since no. the start of last season? No, you can't because I'm not buying that. Why? What a lead-in. I'm just not buying it, but Lars go ahead. Lars Newbar, since the start of last season, sell it to us. has an OPS of 807, 
Randy Rosarena, since the start of last season, has an OPS of 782. Lars Nupar has a higher on-base percentage and a higher slugging percentage in that stretch of time than Randy Rosarena does. Guys, Lars Nupar is a really freaking good baseball player. Really good. Randy Rosarena has also done it for three total seasons. Yeah, and Lars Nupar needs to continue doing this, but he's only been in the big leagues for the last couple of seasons. So this is the entirety of our sample size that we have to offer with Lars Nupar. And he, since he has been up last year, he has been a really good hitter at the major league level. He is now walking over the last two seasons 14% of the time. He's getting on base in that stretch at a 360 click clip. You guys remember uh, Brandon Nimmo, right? We talked about him all last offseason as, hey, you, you probably don't pay significant money for on-base percentage, but if you needed a legit center fielder that does have that on base and you wanted a lefty bat, man, Brandon Nimmo feels like a really good fit. He ended up getting 20 mil a year. He is basically the equivalent of Lars Nupar. You have Brandon Nimmo. His name is Lars Nupar, and you're paying him nothing for next season. Lars Nupar has been treated by the organization as a franchise staple, a guy that they are putting in pin along with Jordan Walker in the outfield for next year. How'd that work out the last time they did it with a young outfielder that was supposed to be a mainstay? None of them had this kind of profile. None of them had this kind of production. Dylan Carlson had this profile. Absolutely not. Dylan Carlson was said said to supposed to be this way. Yeah, but he didn't produce. Yeah, he didn't have the profile. I get it, but what you're saying is the profile are the... I'm the saying expectation. Forget the expectations. We are now on to production. This is no longer about potential with Lars Nupar. For a we full have, year. I mean, over the last two seasons now, if you're looking at just his major league playing time, it's 700 plate appearances. So, yes, that is more than a full seasons of results now that we have seen from Lars Nupar. And in that stretch of time, he has produced in a way that who's the best outfielder production-wise that we've seen since Matt Holiday? I think it might be Lars Nupar. So when we talk about what the outfield looks like next year, this is a guy that should be the number one option for you because he's good defensively. He can play in center field if you need him to. And offensively, he is producing in a way that the Cardinals expected him to. He has done what Carlson never did which is sustain it for more than one season. He has done what O'Neal never did, what my guy Harrison Bader never did. This is finally a player that the Cardinals bet on, and it's weird to me that it's almost gone in the other direction of the other players. People are praising Dylan Carlson while pushing down Lars Nupar when Carlson is all about projection. And Nupar is about production. This guy's actually doing it on the baseball field. We're finally seeing... The lefty bat that gets on base at a high clip and is starting to show the power as well. And he's 25 years old. This is what they've been missing. And for some reason, when I try to prop him up, and I'm not talking about just you two, uh, to be clear here. Feels very targeted. This is, I I feel like there's some fans that are doing the same thing. Guys, this is the guy that we've been waiting for. This is the prince that has been promised. It is finally arriving. Oh, my God. And we're kissing it, and we're becoming the toad. And I don't understand. I just don't I, I get feel it. like, I, I don't know if he Yikes. was the prince that was promised. I think he was the toad that was kissed. I was like, holy bleep, yeah. this is <laughs> a prince. <laughs> yeah, no, because he wasn't a prospect. That, that's yeah, where the prince I, I was promised there. was Dylan Carlson, and I got the toad. Uh, yeah, um, but no, I look, I think you're right. I think you plan on him and kind of pencil in what you think his production is next year. 
the whole thing where I always have been pushing back on Newt Bar recently is because, yes, look, right now he is a everyday major league outfielder. The part that I pushed back on, especially right before the trade deadline, was he is not in an untouchable list for me. That's fair. And, and that's where I that's where my biggest pushback is, I, be, mostly because of where the Cardinals sit. I, I think going in it next year, planning on him being the center fielder or left fielder, depending what, what happens with this outfield going into the off or going into 2024. I, I think that's the right approach from the Cardinals. But I wouldn't just hang up the phone when it is, okay, well, if you want Logan Gilbert, Lars Newbar's got to come back in the package. I'm not just hanging up the phone. I'm trying to avoid trading Lars Newbar. But if it comes down to it, it's either Newbar and you either keep Newbar or you get Gilbert and we get Newbar, then I'm open to that conversation. And that's where my biggest pushback is on Lars Newbar. I, I don't think he should be in an untouchable conversation. I think he's in that second tier of untouchables, but that's not a complete untouchable player. Text or troll? I'm asking this in all seriousness because I don't even know what to say anymore to these people. BK, you're drunk. Nude is okay, but he is certainly not better than Dylan Carlson. That that's got to be troll. I, I'm I'm just I, trying to figure out who you're trying to convince for this segment, but now I know this texter. <laughs> I'm genuinely asking three one four three nine 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 six four six is the Air Comfort Service text line. If you could keep one of Carlson or Newt Bar, who are you keeping? Put it up on our YouTube poll. Why don't okay. we? Yeah, go go over on YouTube at 101 ESPN STL. 101 ESPN STL. Take two. Who would you rather have on the Cardinals next year? Dylan Carlson or Lars Newfar? You could only keep one. I mean, to me, that's just an insane question. It's an obvious answer. You take the guy who has been good. Had the label of, I'm not going to let him go unless you prime for my cold, dead hands. <laughs> Coming up next, we're diving into the junk drawer here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The junk drawer with BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Fenton Bar and Grill. Best trust wings in Missouri. Dine in. Carry out. Seven days a week. Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Let's dive into the junk drawer. Alex, I've got a question for you. T-Bone, you could sit this one out if you I've don't mind. I've got a question before moment. you start. Have you calmed down? I have. I think okay. I'm better now. Because I felt like you were screaming at both Tanner and My I. wife knows this about me. I need like five minutes. You give me five minutes, I'll be okay. Damn, that's good. <laughs> I, I get I get emotional sometimes. I get out in front of my skis. She sent you to timeout. You give me about five minutes. I send, my, your I send myself to time out these days. I'm like, hey, I need exactly. 15. I'm surprised you only need five. You give me five. I'll go sit down. I'll be in my own thoughts for a moment. And I'll be like, you know what? That was stupid. I was being mean. But I don't feel bad about the last segment. It'll All grow. you Dylan Carlson people out there, you guys are ridiculous. <laughs> right. go, in, go take your five minutes. It'll go in incremental time. Like five minutes now in about a month. It'll be 10 <laughs> minutes, 15 minutes. You'll get to an hour. The more uh, the more sleep deprived I am, the longer yeah. that stretch You'll becomes. get to the point where Kara's like, why were you in the bathroom for two and a half hours? I'm like, I was in there for two and a half hours? So reason why I wanted to ask you, Alex, um, my wife and I are going on our first date tonight since baby Luca came around. What is dating like as you have a child in this world? <laughs> oh boy, you asked the greatest question ever. Um, I'll give you a great picture of it. It's going to dinner, sitting in silence in the car ride to <laughs> dinner. And then when you get to dinner, talk about your kid. Okay. Talk about cute things he does. Okay. Then sit in silence for another 
15, 20 minutes. Not because you don't want to be with each other, because you're both so freaking exhausted and it's nice to not have a kid around. And then when you get home, you go to sleep. I, see, I thought maybe there's even like a moment where you guys both just take a nap in the car before going home. You know what? Katie Make and I have done it before. Longer, Katie and I have fallen asleep in the car waiting for our table to be called at the, at the Are restaurant. Are you serious? Really? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> they said they will text you when you come and it'll be like 30 minutes. And I'm like, oh, let's just go sit in the car. And the next thing you know, the seats are reclined and you're asleep. What's the... Uh... You end up having Taco Bell for dinner instead. <laughs> yeah, I was about to you say, wake what? up and the table was gone. like, son of a... When you guys are going out for date nights, what's the go-to? For us? Is there like a spot that you... Maybe it used to be your favorite and now you're able to go back to it now without the kids. Oh, yeah. It's, always, it's always on the hill. It's either okay. Pietro's or Favazza's. Like Favazza's was Katie and I's spots. Like Friday nights, we would go to Favazza's on the hill. And then when you have kids, like... It's not easy to go to fine dining Italian restaurant and bring two kids that'll scream the entire time and throw their food. So, I mean, we've gone with them, but we kind of pumped the brakes on it a little bit. So something like that. But really, but all we do for date nights is we go out to dinner because if we've got the babysitter, the babysitter gets the girls to sleep. By the time we get home from dinner, then we can watch a movie or something. That's kind of what our date nights typically are. We There's a new Peruvian slash ceviche spot in St. Charles called Jalea. And we were not able to get it while she was pregnant because it's ceviche, which is uncooked fish, basically. Um, so that's what we're going with tonight. I will report back with you on how this goes. Is she excited? I hope I, hope I hear a story about somebody falling asleep it's, in the car. I'm telling you, dude, the car ride. You the, the first time Katie and I went on a date after we had Adelaide, our first one, we were driving. And like typically my wife and I are, are chatty Cathy's, which no surprise here. Like we're always talking with each other, updating each other. And that drive, it was like a 20 minute drive to a restaurant. And when we got there, I'm like, man, is she pissed off at me? What did I do? <laughs> And the next thing I find out, she's like, I'm exhausted. And that's when we had fallen asleep in the car waiting for the table. I, uh, <laughs> I half expect there to story be tomorrow where BK's like, yeah, I was driving us to our date night. And Kara fell asleep in the passenger seat. And I go, oh, she was tired. No, I kept talking about New Bar over Carlson. <laughs> and I bored her to sleep. Yeah, Kara's like, I'm never going on a date night again with him. He's like, I just don't understand, Carol, why they think Carlson is a better outfielder. New Bar can play better defense. Sometimes I do. I do have to catch myself. Um I realize my wife doesn't care about any of this. (laughs) And it's part of why we work, right? Kara loves musicals and Disney. I love sports and politics. Those are like two of my passions. God, he just described my relationship with my wife. (laughs) And so it's like... I need to... There's a lot of yin and yang there, right? So when I get home, when I talk to Kara... There's not a whole lot of talk about sports, but I do sometimes revert back into my own habitat where I'm like explaining to her something that she clearly has no interest in whatsoever. You can see the eyes glazing over. It's like when I talk to Alex sometimes, how I can feel it on the show where his eyes start glazing wow. over. Wow. You can see like, oh, squirt I've lost him. What a I've shot. lost my wife. All What'd right. you say? Well played, sir. Well Wasn't played. listening. Unbelievable. Coming up next. So, I want to make this very clear. This oh was pre-planned. Yeah, <laughs> this was on I'm the rundown sure before our last segment. Oh, I guess we're calling back to Dylan Carlson, aren't we? BK, just gonna read you what's on the rundown. Yeah, because who did that rundown? What happens <laughs> if Dylan Carlson doesn't add value to the Cardinals down the stretch? T-Bone will tell you next. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
It's a Dylan Carlson segment here on BK and Ferrario. You guys know the Better routine. known as BK Ishes on anybody not named Lars Newtbar. Not exactly. T-Bone's going to do all of the hard work for me here. That's Alex Ferrario. That's Tanner Hendrickson. And I'm Brandon Kylie. So the Cardinals are hoping to extract some value from Dylan Carlson, right? That's that's the goal. They didn't trade him at the deadline. I think it, for two reasons. This is speculation, but it's my assumption. One, teams didn't value him the way that they probably would if he was fully healthy and producing the way that the Cardinals expected him to. That makes sense. I understand it. Two, teams were unwilling to give up major league pitching right now uh, because teams that have that pitching are probably contending. So you can't get the pitching you're looking for. Dylan Carlson doesn't have the value that you were hoping that he would have. And you add all of that up. You don't trade him at the deadline. You hope over the next two months he turns around his season. He is healthy. He gets an opportunity. Now he ends up being traded in the offseason for that pitching that you're looking for. Or he plays so well because he's healthy and getting that opportunity. He works his way into your plans for next season as your starting center fielder. All of which is possible. Maybe unlikely, though. T-Bone, what happens if Dylan Carlson doesn't regain his value? Because right now, he's batting 225 on the season, and he's got an OPS of 660. Dating mm. back to the start of last season, and this is no longer a small sample size, 700 plate appearances. He has an OPS of 685. He is slugging 365 in that stretch. Run it back! Run it back! No. Okay. No. You should sell what happens. You should sell low on Carlson if that's what happens. And honestly, he probably even becomes a throw in any kind of trade package. Um, you cannot run it back with Dylan Carlson if he doesn't recoup value Speak because they're they're running out of spots. They need to clear up the log jam in the outfield. If they said going into next year our outfield is basically the same thing that we had this year, then something went awry. And, and they made a mistake in the offseason. I think Carlson, even if he doesn't recoup his value completely, I don't think you're selling so low you're getting just cash for him. I think somebody will still value him. You're probably just not going to get the piece back in return that you would hope for based on the way you projected him to be. But they will have to sell low on him if he cannot recoup value because I think he's Right now, he's lost the fourth outfield spot. I, I think that belongs to Alec Burleson. I think Burleson has shown he can be a capable fourth outfielder off the bench. And like lately, he got the start last night, and you saw why the Cardinals like him. You know why? Because he can hit right-handed pitching because he deposited a ball into the right-field seat. So I think Carlson right now is fifth on the depth chart among outfielders, and I think they're going to continue to get him playing time. But if he doesn't start showcasing against righties and doesn't start to recoup value, they are going to have to have a serious conversation of, yeah, we can't really run this back because we've got a log jam here in the outfield. And we need to make this easier on Ali Marmol. I thought it was too difficult for him early in the year balancing playing time. I think they're going to have to look at Carlson and go, you know what? It just didn't work here in St. Louis. Let's let's sell low and still gain some assets back in return. Here's my question. How do you plan to recoup value? Because he's not going to be playing every day. Newt Barr, O'Neal, and Walker are going to be playing every day. I think, I think got... they're doing like a four guys for three spots type yeah, of a thing. But that's where what one I'm guy's saying. rotating. Uh, They'll I, get... I mean, what is there, 55 games remaining? Yeah. Each of these guys will play like 40 games, 45 I, I understand games. that, but what I'm saying is if he's trying, if you're trying to recoup value with him, I would imagine you want to get some repetition in there for Dylan Carlson to where you see it for seven, eight, nine, ten 10 days where you just put him out there every day as the outfielder. And But do you feel any differently if like in that 10-game stretch he's played eight games? Do I? No, but I would imagine other teams want to see like, okay, yeah, you've been awful for this stretch. Let's see what this looks like when you're in right field for three straight days or you're in center field for five straight days. And I don't see that happening. 
happening for the Cardinals. The only reason I'm asking this is because I don't see you being able to recoup value for Dylan Carlson. I think the value is the value right now. And that's why I'm trading him no matter what so I can clear this log jam. And to what Tanner said, he's a part of a package. He's not going to be, I'm just trading him elsewhere to get something in return. When I put together my package to get this starting pitcher in the offseason, Dylan Carlson's a throw-in in that deal. So here's why the Dylan Carlson conversation has to happen for the Cardinals and why I understand the frustration on our text line, but this is this is about this is basically the equivalent to what I was saying last year about Barbie, where I became the villain because I said the Cardinal or the Blue should probably trade Ivan Barbashev coming off of what was an unbelievable season by him. We can acknowledge the value of a player while also taking into account what the team's situation is and how that player fits into their long-term plans. That's what you have to do as a team when you're looking at this stuff. Dylan Carlson right now, when you look at what he's done against right-handed pitching since he came up to the big leagues, it's awful, guys. I mean, like, one of the worst hitters against right-handed pitching in the big leagues in that stretch He's getting on base 30% of the time and slugging against right-handed pitching 370. To put that in perspective, there are only 130 players that have at least 1,000 at-bats against right-handed pitching since Carlson got the call-up. Carlson ranks 115th among them in slugging percentage against right-handed pitching. If you want to go OPS, it's basically the exact same. He has been horrible in those spots. I don't know if that's going to change. In fact, I don't know how it does change. I would expect that this is kind of who he is, which is a platoon bat in the outfield that you love starting him against left-handed pitching. But that means you're starting him once every three days at best in the big leagues right now. And then he's coming off of the bench or as a defensive replacement in most other games. I don't think this team can have both Dylan Carlson and Tommy Edmond on it because they're basically the same player. They project to play center fields in a good scenario in the outfield. And both of them really struggle against righties while playing well against lefties. So pick who you would rather have out of those two players. I think the guy that has more value elsewhere is Dylan Carlson because there is still that upside baked into him. He's still very young, switch hitter, can play anywhere in the outfield. And while I'm lower on him than most, I can see how he would be an average starter for a lot of teams that don't have the same outfield depth that the Cardinals do. Meanwhile, Tommy Edmond, I think, has more value to the Cardinals than he does elsewhere. He gives you a fail-safe in case things go poorly next year with Mason Wynn. He gets off to a sluggish start at shortstop. He also gives you the opportunity where if Newt Barr goes through injuries next year or just isn't as good defensively as you're hoping for, he can play center field for you in a pinch next year as well. That guy, to me, I'm keeping. Dylan Carlson would be the one that I'm looking to move going into the offseason. So for me, I think I'm with you, Alex. No matter what happens the rest of the way, He's the guy that I'm looking to trade going into the offseason because he has value and because for me, he doesn't have that much value right now. Can I add in another area that I don't hear people talk as much about in terms of clearing up the logjam that needs to be done by this team, which sure. again, it's another laundry list for this team to figure out. You need to figure out what you're doing at DH. You got like five guys right now who are also DH hitters for you. And to me, you can't do that. Like if Alec Burleson is a DH for you and a fourth outfielder, great then let's start eliminating some of these. If you're going to carry three catchers next year because um, Wilson Contreras isn't a catcher to you, well, then you're going to have to trade Alec Burleson or something like that because how this team utilizes Paul Goldschmidt, Nolan Arenado, where they're off their feet every fourth or fifth day, you can't keep doing this where you got all of these roster players and nobody playing because they're sitting on the bench because you're 
you have too many guys who can't play their position well enough, and so you just view that as a DH. So who would you say fits into that criteria? That Alec Burleson about? fits into that criteria. Wilson Contreras fits into that criteria. I know you're not trading him, but you need to figure out if he's a catcher or not for you. Um, and frankly, uh, uh, this glut of infielders where it's Donovan and it's Gorman and it's Edmund and it's going to be Mason Wynn. And with the Donovan news of his surgery, correct me if I'm wrong, this is kind of like the Bryce Harper thing, right, where you can no. still hit, so, so it's not the same thing. It, it, Harper had Tommy John. There was an update yesterday on the specific surgery that Donovan is going to get. It sounds like this is something that he should be good to go on so all he's fronts 100% going into spring training. Gotcha. That's their expectation. Now, that could change, obviously. We know, like, yeah. This stuff can change like that, and then maybe next year we get to spring training and they're saying, hey, he's on a no-throw program. We're like, okay, cool. We know how this is going to end up going. But as of now, their expectation is that Donovan should be good to go in all in all facets and, and, going into and next that's, year. I mean, because I was wondering if he was going to have to start the season as a DH because you couldn't use him in the infield. But you've got like four guys, and I'm not even including three or four other names that are on the 40-man roster that you're not using, and Luke and Baker and Moises Gomez and Juan Yepes. See, none of those guys to me fit into the Cardinals' plans next year. Well, then, and so, like, I would be trading them, but not because of the DH situation. Instead, because of the roster spot. Like, I think that roster spot is like, more valuable than a lot of those players. That but you I feel mentioned. like they're holding on to them because of the DH opportunities. I don't even know that they're holding like, on. Like, Juan Yepes is on the 40-man roster because if somebody goes down, we could bring him up and he could be a DH option for us. I, I think he's on the 40-man roster because, like, there's nothing really else that you can do right now. I think this offseason, that changes. If he's still on the 40-man roster going into next year and they don't have a plan for him at the major league level, then I'm willing to ask some serious questions on what the Cardinals did or really didn't accomplish going into the offseason. Same thing for Moises Gomez. These are the types of guys that typically, this is the Adolis Garcia situation, right? I'm not saying it's going to become that, but this is why the Cardinals ended up not having Adolis Garcia on their 40-man rosters because they just didn't view a future for him in St. Louis because they had so many other options. The same thing could end up being true for uh, a guy like Juan Yepes, where you probably end up trading him elsewhere. I don't know what you'll get in return right now. His value is not very high. You should have done it last year, probably, if you were going to try to get something for him. But maybe you can get a lottery ticket guy that ends up maybe becoming the next Juan Yepes. That's what they need to do going into the offseason. But I I think for me, it's really about the outfield. Because if you solve this outfield mix, specifically with Dylan Carlson being like the primary guy that I would be looking to move, I think then there's a trickle-down effect where everything else becomes a little easier uh, to figure out. With Alec Burleson, you mentioned him in that DH mix. I think we know what his role is, guys. He's a fourth outfielder that can occasionally start for you as a DH against right-handed pitching. I don't think that's a problem. Like, I think we get into such a rush of, well, where's this guy going to play every day? Some guys aren't everyday players. Maybe Alec Burleson is never going to be an everyday player for the Cardinals. And that's okay. He's just going to be a cheap, cost-controlled, really solid left-handed bat coming off of the bench so the Cardinals don't have to pay Corey Dickerson to be that guy. They don't have to go out and get Brad Miller to be that guy. He can play first base whenever Goldie's off. He can occasionally DH for you. He can play in the outfield if you need him to against a right-handed pitcher. You have some injuries out there. He's a really valuable commodity for the Cardinals. And we've seen when he's in there. There is upside in that bat as well. So I would keep Alec Burleson, barring something unforeseen this offseason. Yeah, I, I would too. And I, I don't mind him being a fourth outfit. This is the conversation we had with Luke and Baker, Juan Yepes earlier in the year, where it was, okay, why are these guys not up with Taylor Motter, who has to be in the 
bench role because the Cardinals were claiming they want those guys to get everyday opportunities. Well, some guys aren't going to have major league careers doing that. And Moe's even said in the past, to your point on the signing of Corey Dickerson, where it is, yeah, it's a lot harder to convince veterans on the market to come and be on the bench than it is to just have young guys doing it. And I think the way Burleson's bat profiles, he's like the perfect DH that you want to where it is not so much by looking at the numbers, but the fact that he makes contact a lot. He's not a big strikeout guy. He makes a ton of contact when he's up there at the plate. He reminds me kind of like what, and I don't think Descalso was this, but he kind of reminds me in terms of contact Descalso. Descalso wasn't going to be a guy that was going to hit for power, but you knew you were going to get a quality at-bat every time you brought him off the bench. Same with Greg Garcia when he was a guy that would come off the bench. Burleson reminds me of that, but he's got higher upside, I think, with his back because I think he he definitely has more power than those two. But you know every time that you pinch hit with him or you throw him into spot start in the outfield or spot start at first base or spot start at DH, you know you're going to get quality at-bats from him. And that's why I think he's valuable. I agree. I think he's kind of locked himself in. Unless like somebody says we really want him in a trade for sure. a number two starter, he's got to be in it. Okay, then sure, that's a different conversation. But I think you can lock him in as, yeah, he's on this team next year as a fourth outfielder and kind of a platoon get guys off in the outfield in that first base. More of the reason that you need to trade Dylan Carlson then. Yeah, yeah, and because that's what, I think that's the whole conversation be, there. Because apparently they still think Walker's going to be a DH a lot this next season if he's not the right fielder. So you got a lot of DH situations right now. You, you do a little bit. I I think that I think we overestimate the DH thing. I think so too. Like Wilson, Contreras, not if Wilson Contreras is going to be doing it seventy-five to eighty percent of the time next season. But I don't think he's going to do that much. I, I, I think it's going to be a, a lot 50, like this 50 year. Split. Yeah, let next year with, with what you've got a catcher, and if that ends up being the case, like. Say you've got a 10-game stretch, right? We did this at the beginning of the year with the outfield mix where you're like, oh, you you can kind of make this work easier than a lot of people are anticipating as long as you've got that position flexibility. And that's where, like, Tommy Edmond helps you in that regard. He can play all over the place. Brendan Donovan helps you in that way. I think Alec Burleson honestly fits into this in a significant way because he can play first or corner outfield spot. Uh, When you've got that flexibility there, that really helps a lot. Um, the problem was when they were carrying the three catchers earlier this year, I, I don't think they should do that next season. If you have Contreras in the lineup as a DH, you've just got to be willing to lose the DH later on in the game. Like that has to be something that they philosophically change their perspective on. Because if you're doing that, the chances are, because you're doing it for Herrera, he's going to be your catcher on those days. Chances are it's late in a game and you're going to be able to de- or pinch hit for that pitcher that's coming in anyway. So that's something that they need to keep in mind. But I think they're all right. I, most of these things, I think it will work themselves out. Final thing here before we get to believe it or not on the other side, 314-399-9646. If you guys could have one next year, one of these two, and let's assume that both of them have very little trade value elsewhere. Would you rather bring back Tyler O'Neill next year or Dylan Carlson? O'Neill. Tyler O'Neill. And, like, I, I say that even though there's, like, major concerns about him staying healthy. But, like, look at him right now. Like, it, it's easy to see why, through all his issues of staying healthy, why the Cardinals can continue to say, let's run it with Tyler O'Neill. He's been awesome since he came back. He's a five-tool player that just, for whatever reason, has not been able to put it together on the field. I would, too. I would, too. The, the, the chances of Tyler O'Neill coming back to bite you next year in a big way are way higher than the chances of Dylan Carlson doing it. On, on both ends. Yeah. Coming up next, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service uh, Air Comfort Service text line. I'll slow down here for Believe It or Not here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Look at what's happened to me. I can't believe it myself. Suddenly I'm up 
singing it. Listen, this doesn't really play on YouTube. Yeah, no, we definitely need the music. <laughs> Sell it on radio, boys. Believe it or not, I'm walking on air. I never thought I could feel so free. Flying away on a wing and a prayer. Who could it be? Just me. 314-399-9646 is the sucks. air comfort service text line Still, for Believe It or I Not. I bet that second part that I do it looks great on oh, YouTube. Oh, I'm sure it does. By the way, you guys can check us out on YouTube at 101 ESPN STL. That is where you go to find it. It's T-Bone's favorite segment of the week. We like to call it Believe It or Not. All right, boys, let's start with this, guys. Believe it or not, Lars Nupar is your starting center fielder in 2024. God, he just he just keeps hammering that nail, yeah. and when it's in the wood, and it's like, dude, you're good. He just says, nope. <laughs> Making sure it's in there. You're going to strip the nail, man. I'm going to believe it, by the way. Shocker. <laughs> Look, I don't think you can strip a nail, too, by the way, buddy. That's a screw. That's a screw. I've learned that in the last six months. Screw. Sorry. You don't strip the nail, but I know what you're saying. Yeah, well, you got you can, it. It's another discussion for another day. You nailed the screw. Yeah. That's sex ed class. I believe in this one. Good talk, guys. Tanner does oh, really I the question. Well, no, I thought he was going to elaborate on why he believed it. Why do it? I need to elaborate? We've spent three <laughs> segments today elaborating on it. What else do I need to say that this guy over here right. hasn't dug into an Excel Can I sheet? Ask a different one. All right. Believe it or not, Hold you on, I got to no... get my answer on that one. <laughs> okay. Believe it. And if you want my what? explanation, go and listen to the 1 o'clock and 11 There was a guy who used to work with at KMOX. His name was Fred Bottomer. He was a producer for Mark Reardon's show, and he used to carry like a manila folder filled with papers for the show prep. I mean, that's how he did his show prep. That's what I imagine BK's backseat of his car looks like, filled with Lars Nupar information of why he's better than this individual. I was about to say, it's actually just Dylan Carlson stuff, and this Lars is my like segment of the day to day as to why Dylan Carlson's overvalued. Uh, believe it or not, you had no idea the NFL season kicked off tonight with uh, the Hall of Fame game. Believe it, yeah, believe it. Genuinely heard Randy talking about it this morning. I was like, what the, what the fleet football is is back? What the football? Yeah, I did not. I didn't know that was a thing until I, I heard the update. I was uh, I was in the office this morning and I was scrolling through Twitter right before we started our show meeting, and I saw something about Kellen. Is it Kellen Mond versus Zach Wilson? I was like, what the hell? Why are they talking about Zach Wilson and Mond? And I was like, oh my gosh, the Hall of Fame game tonight. Yeah, I'm not going to watch that, but you can listen to it here on one on ESPN. Zach Wilson's making the start. You can check it out. I mean, if you want to watch bad football. Zach's your guy. That's your game. All right, boys. Believe it or by the way, daily fantasy. Back tonight, boys. This is where we get our. This is where we win. You're doing daily fantasy on preseason Absolutely. football. Absolutely. I've got a website that go, that I go Man. to. They do all the projections. Do you, you, you do you do that website with somebody else and then take all of the money when you win and don't split it with them? Yes, actually, yeah, yeah. makes sense. That's exactly what I do. You got a problem? If yeah, you're, you got a. You're good. Yeah, there's a couple of things I think people game. have problems with. Is when you bet on preseason. I'm not betting. I'm just playing daily fantasy. Yeah, that's a problem. That's, isn't that called betting? Yeah. No, like, totally are you putting different. money towards something no, so that if you game. win, you win yeah. money? Oh, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> no, that's chess, and I'm also not good at that. Believe it or not, by the end of their careers, Lars Nupar will have more all-star games than Dylan Carlson. Yeah, believe it, of course. Carlson zero, Newt one. Let's just call this the Dylan Carlson v. Newt Bar show. Don't, we don't need to do any more Carlson. Okay. Give us something. Believe for- it or not, Dylan Carlson. No, I'm out. I'm out on that then. I don't have any more Dylan Carlson ones. No. Oh. 
Go, Go on, Do you have anything non-Carlson related? No, sorry. It's all it's been ingrained in my head today. It's yeah, my bad. Uh, yeah, way to go, PK. Uh, believe it or not, we were just having kind of this conversation mm-hmm. uh, off air. Believe it or not, Avon Herrera will be on the Cardinals roster come opening day next year. Not starting, but on the roster. Um, and you may I'm be gonna saying, believe it because I think that they're going to end up trading Andrew Kisner this offseason. I looked this up during the break and genuinely had no idea. Do you know Andrew Kisner has the third highest slugging percentage on the Cardinals this year? And coming up next, why Andrew Kisner is better than Yvonne Herrera. No. He's been eating his Wheaties, man. El Capitan. I I had no idea that it was that high. Like, I just haven't really been looking a whole lot at what Andrew Kisner has done offensively. It's, It's been a pretty good year for him, especially when it comes to the slug. Now he has four walks on the season. We don't need those. Who walks anymore? I, I, uh, his return from that injury significantly has benefited Andrew Kisner. I'm, I'm also going to say believe it because this team is going to carry three catchers on opening day. <laughs> it's going to be Herrera, Kisner, and Contreras because they'll view Contreras as, as a DH. And, and an outfielder. And probably an outfielder. He'll be the fourth outfielder. Uh, see, I'm not going to believe it because I think they will use Herrera. I, I, wonder, I wonder all the talk about, and Gersh said this when he was on with us. You know, people had a lot of interest in our our young position players. I wonder if they try to avoid using some of those and package a Herrera with a Carlson and another prospect to go get a young cost control pitcher. I mean, it's tough to find a good quality catcher, and Herrera was good when he was up here, both with the bat and defensively, and he's had a great year in Memphis. And if you think, not just think it, and I think Kisner's proven this, Kisner can be a really good backup slash 50-50 split guy with Wilson Contreras. I think you keep that guy right now and you sell high on Yvonne Herrera because I think you can get more in return for him than Kisner. So believe, I'm not believing it. Believe it or not, the Cardinals should pinch hit Andrew really? Kisner for Dylan Carlson <laughs> leading games for Wait, us. Are, what are they facing? I'm just kidding. What I'm right they, into pitcher. Uh, I'm just yeah, and Dylan Carlson's a faster runner. So. Uh, guys, be- get in the cage with Kiz. Believe it or not, we will see super conferences in college football by the end of next season. Have you guys seen some of these yeah. reports that are coming out now? Can I go on a soapbox real quick? I mean, you've been on one. one? <laughs> say you've had like this three today. One. Damn, I should have taken today off. <laughs> yeah, I, no hate the, I hate the direction that college football is going. I really do. The Big 12 was really fun when Mizzou was in it with KU and Oklahoma and Nebraska. Like the, the rivalries that Mizzou had that were historic and were geographically, they made sense. That was cool. The Big 10. When I knew where the programs were located by looking at a map, that was pretty cool. I'll still be able to find USC on a map. Rutgers, <laughs> USC, UCLA, maybe Oregon. Man, this sucks. I, I I don't like the direction that college football is heading or college sports in general. I understand it. It's all about the money, but it sucks. And I, I think it's bad for everybody involved. And it would have been better if we had just like found a way if the ncaa actually did anything like they had a job and they actually did it we would have the conferences that we had in 2011 and we all just would have figured out a way to split the money a little bit more but that's not the way a world works i understand my panacea would have worked that way but i think that we will see two like super conferences and then the big 12 and the acc are kind of the second tier conferences it'll be like a a super league or the premier premier league over in uh euro Europe for soccer. If only we had relegation. I'd be all in. <laughs> but yeah, I'll believe this too. And I, I kind of agree with you. I, I, I'm not happy with the way things are going um, because it 
it's obvious it's not for the better of the sport. It's just better for more money for the school to make. And I hate when that's how sports go. And that's why I hate expanded playoffs in every league when they do it. Because it's not about, oh, we want everybody to experience the playoffs. No, it's about you want to make more money. And, and I find that to be annoying. So, yes, I, I will believe this. I think we're going to see it. I don't know if it will be necessarily the other you put on there, but we're definitely going to get to that point. Same. No elaboration. Do you need me to elaborate on that well, one, too? We, we don't have a previous segment of you explaining that uh, one. I think you guys uh, nailed it on the head. You Thank stripped you. the nail. Thank you. Do you I think Florida State's leaving the ACC? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Does anybody want Florida State? No. <laughs> we'll take them. You notice how Florida State, I, I don't know if you guys saw yesterday, they they had a big meeting publicly, which was basically a pep rally. Where they're like, we're, we're going to leave the ACC. We're going to go somewhere else unless they make us an offer we can't refuse. No, you haven't heard from any other team the entire time in conference realignment that ended up leaving their conference was that. Not a single one of them. Everybody was like cloak and dagger suddenly in the middle of the night. Oh, Colorado's going to the Big 12? Wait, USC and UCLA are heading to the Big 10? Mizzou? Texas State? What? It was all shocking. Like you could follow it and you saw what was happening behind the scenes, but nobody said anything publicly. Meanwhile, Florida State is like all in on the public pressure for the ACC. It makes me think they're going to be in the ACC next year. Because I don't think anybody else wants them. <laughs> no, I I would agree with that because I, I don't think you're doing this publicly because the like you said these conferences like to keep this kind of hidden and then it's just ta da here it is this team's gonna come over here Florida State meanwhile has been as public as anybody there's no chance they're leaving the ACC. Somebody on the text line said, "How do they get more money if the, there are more teams and more travel? It's all about inventory. That's it. It's all about the money for the TV rights deals and being able to get the most markets possible for them to be able to." quote unquote sell that market on your team being on TV. It's all it is. It's all it is right now. And as teams are leagues are moving even more towards streaming, it's another big part of this as well. How many how many people are gonna buy our streaming package because of your fan? And like the Big Ten has a I don't remember who I heard say this. I think it was Paul Feinbaum has a like NFL type package with their TV deal. Like they've they're going they've got games being streamed on Peacock, I think starting this year. NBC I think soon enough a lot of this stuff will be on Netflix, Apple TV. Yeah. That, that kind of stuff. Uh, Amazon Prime, you'll be buying games individually or be buying a season package for your conference. Yeah, and sooner they're going to have like an NFL end zone, yeah. a red zone or something like that for all of them. Coming up next, which Western <laughs> Conference team that missed the playoffs last year is most likely to make it in the NHL in 2024? We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Tanner Hendricks and I'm Brandon Kylie. So earlier today, the athletic put out their results from their fan poll that they do each and every off season. And Alex, one of the questions I found particularly interesting as it pertains to the blues, they asked the, the responders, which Western conference team that missed the playoffs last year is most likely to make it in 2024. And the team that got the most votes at 29% was Calgary. Second was none of the teams that missed the playoffs last year will make it in 2024 out of the Western Conference. And then third, of course, was your St. Louis Blues at 23% of the responses. So the vast majority of people that responded to this poll said one of either the Flames, the Blues, or none of the above. Alex, who do you think 
your answer would be to that question. Which team from the West is most likely to get in next year? I would say it's the Blues because the other teams that were on this list, Calgary, I think Calgary probably has, I don't want to say the better overall roster, but I think Calgary has the right pieces if they want to try. I mean, they were two points out of a playoff spot last year. So they could do it. But I also don't see that entire team staying together all season. I think you're going to see a lot of pieces sold off, at least by the deadline, if not before, uh, for Calgary, because you don't want to lose these guys for nothing. Are you surprised that a lot of those pieces are still there? Yeah, I am. But, I mean, Craig Conroy said that they were going to be patient with this stuff. They weren't just going to trade guys to trade guys. I think when they realize Lynn Holm's not going to re-sign with them, you have to trade Lynn Holm, even if you're in a race for it. And if you realize Noah Hannafin wants out, you trade him, too. So those are going to be the two big pieces. And then, of course, you're relying on Markstrom, who's very inconsistent. So I, I just don't see Calgary as a team that's there. Nashville is absolutely blowing that thing up, even with the additions that they brought in of Ryan O'Reilly and Luke Shen, still going to be a team that's rebuilding or retooling. And Vancouver, to me, isn't a team that really has an identity. Like, they're bringing back the same roster that didn't have an identity last year. No real big additions. I think when you look at the Blues, they were 14 points out of a playoff spot. If you consider the pieces that they brought in in terms of the forward additions, I could see that team being a team that wins five or six more wins. And then the other part of it, too, is just if you look at the bottom of the West, I just don't really see a lot of competition for those two wild card spots. So that's what I was going to ask you is like, OK, so if we think that somebody's getting in, that means somebody has to be booted out. Who do you think is the most likely team to miss out on the playoffs this year that made it last year? Winnipeg or Winnipeg. Winnipeg really? would be the biggest one for me because I I don't I, know, man. I think they might have gotten better. I know got, that sounds weird because they were a team that all offseason was talked about as like selling off all of their assets. Really, what they did was they got rid of Pierre-Luc Dubois, but in return, they got like real NHL pieces for him. Yeah, but just like Calgary, I don't believe those pieces are going to still be in Winnipeg by the end of the season. Like yeah. you're not just going to let Connor Hellebuck walk because you really don't have the replacement in place. And I don't know if you view your team as somebody who can let him go and your team still be competitive. He's the identity of that team. And if he's not willing to re-sign there, which he has made it very clear, you're going to have to make some type of bold move there. The same can be said about Mark Shifley. Yeah. Seattle's another one that I'm very curious about. Seattle had an incredible season. There's no question. You put 100 points up, you should be a team that's viewed on the rise. But I also view that as a team that had to pay a lot more money to players that weren't making as much. You lost certain players. They lost a couple of their forwards, and they lost Carson Soucy. And you're talking about a goaltender who had an incredible season. That's so, the biggest question to me is like, can can they repeat what they did last year from a goal suppression standpoint? Yeah. I think the top six are very clear cut. Who's the playoffs? Colorado, Dallas, Minnesota, Vegas, Edmonton, L.A. And then the final two spots to me is a battle amongst five teams. Seattle, Winnipeg, Calgary, St. Louis. I want to so and bad. Vancouver, sorry, I so badly want to say that it's it's the Blues. That would be this team for me. I just have such question marks about this, what they're doing defensively, man. I, I, I do wonder if the defense is going to be a repeat of what it was a year ago. And I think they'll be better from the forwards, but the, the defensive line, the, the defensive group overall is just, it's really yeah. concerning. And then secondarily, I think the blues might view the trade deadline once again, as a chance to sell off some of these pieces. Like, I don't think it should surprise anybody if Rana and Kapanen are viewed as trade assets this year at the deadline. Verona could really get something in return. There's going to be a team that loses a goal scorer and they look at the blues and say, Verona's got 20 goals and we're at the all-star break. Can we go ahead and get that guy? Cause he's going to help us as a third line winger that plays 14 minutes a night for us. 
and we hope that he can really add some scoring punch, like the Carolina Hurricanes. Mm -hmm. Classic team, always, every year, we're asking, okay, who's their go-to guy that's going to finish for him? Verona could be that guy at the deadline where the Blues get a second-round pick for him or something. And I absolutely agree with that. I would say Verona's going to be that big selling piece for the Blues. I think they probably try and keep Kapanen if he has a good season. But your reason— Blake could be this guy, too. Yeah. Reasonably. The reason you sell Verona, and I still believe the team can be competitive, is if you're selling Verona, one of your prospects is having an unbelievable season, and you say, we can be the same team if we take out Verona and add in a Bolduc or a Zachary Dean. Or you're kind of middling, and Doug Armstrong looks at the team, assesses it, says, we're not going to win anything meaningful this year. Let's go ahead and get the second round pick. And now we'll go ahead and put, maybe it's Bull Duke, maybe mm-hmm. it's somebody else, uh, maybe it's Zach Dean, right? And yeah. they put him in at, the, at center, move Hayes over or move Shin over to one of the wing spots. And they decide, okay, this is going to be better for an opportunity for us. And then 2024-25, that next season yeah. is really when the Blues decide to go for the it. The only reason I would be optimistic about the Blues is these other teams that we're talking about, to me, I don't think they have an identity. Winnipeg uh, is this in-between life right now. Calgary is in this in-between life. Nashville's in the same spot that the Blues are, but with a lot more younger pieces that you're hoping to find out. And Vancouver's in this unknown. And St. Louis, I think you know, they're, they know what their identity is. They think they learned their... What do you their, think it is? I think it's offense. I think we're going back to 2021 where we're saying we're going to outscore our issues on the defensive side. You get slight improvements from certain players. You get health from certain players. We're a team that will score a ton of goals, but a team that's not going to be great defensively. And I don't know if I could say the same thing for Winnipeg, Calgary, or for the Vancouver Canucks. He's Alex Ferrario. That's Tanner Hendrickson, and I'm Brandon Kiley. Coming up next, we'll hit the BK and Ferrario Rewind to finish things up here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's run it back with a daily rewind on BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Stewart's American Mortgage. Google the bagel loan featuring zero fees and zero closing costs. that we see tonight I think is going to be in the Cardinals rotation next year alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson I'm Brandon Kylie. you've got Matthew Libertor going up against Sonny Gray of the Minnesota Twins Matthew Libertor by the way this is a really good opportunity for him tonight the Twins are terrible against left-handed pitching one of their three best hitters against lefties is out tonight uh, their best guy is Royce Lewis who's not a great hitter he's fine Matthew Libertor should look pretty good against this lineup, Alex. So I've got my fingers crossed uh, that you see one of his better starts. If he gives you like five innings, two earned runs against, that's something that you can kind of, you, you can hope about moving forward. So that's what I'm looking forward to most. But I also honestly want to see what Sonny Gray looks like against this Cardinals lineup. Of course you do. I mean, Sonny Gray's been good, but he's slowed down. He started out so hot this year. He was pretty good in the middle portion of the season. And then in the month of July, he has a 4.8 ERA. He's been fine, like going six innings for them in the majority of his start still, but he's just given up a little bit more hard contact. So I'm curious to see what that looks like. The Libertor one's intriguing to me on the one side. We were talking about this uh, during the break, like Dakota Hudson pitched really well. And I don't think anybody expected that me, including last night against the twins. And if Libertor can go out there and perform against a twins team that struggles against lefties, their offense isn't the best 
that at least gives you some hope. Like, okay, you could do it against major league talent. We just got to figure out why you struggle against the more offensive, better offensive teams. But on the other side of it, I really wonder if the Cardinals brass is just looking at Libertor and saying, even if he gets blown up, does he have swing and miss stuff? Because it's pretty obvious they want the swing and miss. And if you don't have it, I think you might be cast off an island sooner or later by this Cardinals team. Yeah, I think if he gets roughed up tonight, I mean, you could probably just erase his name from the plans for 2024. I think that's how important the start is because of what you said. Twins are bad against lefties. They're not a great offense. And I just saw Dakota Hudson shove against Minnesota. And have swing and miss stuff against yeah. that team. So, like, if Libertor really struggles tonight, I I know it's, it sounds like a stretch. I mean, I think it might be done for Matthew Libertor. He'll probably continue is to get starts. Is that about starts. numbers or how it looks? I think it's how it looks. I, I, I think it, I think if it's, like, blue, I think it's just if he gives up, like, four earned and there's, like, an error that extends an inning, it's not earned. And then you've also got things along the lines in terms of blue pits that lead to runs. Like, th- there are exceptions to it, but I, I think it is a matter of how it looks for Matthew Libertor. Coming up tomorrow, we'll tell you why Dakota Hudson is a better option for the Cardinals than Matthew Libertor. We'll have I, three segments of it. I think no matter what, Libby gets at least one more start, right? I, I agree. agree with that. Yeah, I think okay. you're playing him the rest of the season. Yeah, like I think you are with Hudson. Let's find out what this looks like. And I mean, if the next like three starts are really bad for him, maybe you end up trying to see what it looks like out of the bullpen in shorter stints. But for the next few, I think he's guaranteed to be in your rotation for the foreseeable future. And then we see what it looks like from there. Alex will be watching that tonight. We'll also be checking out what you've got going on this week as well. Yeah, tomorrow from 3 to 5 o'clock, I'll be at the Ironman 55 of the Federated Auto Parts Raceway on I-55 out in Peevely, the world of outlaws. Nas Energy Sprint Cars are back for the high-speed weekend, including the most challenging race on the tour, which is the Ironman 55. So come on out, say hi to me from 3 to 5 o'clock tomorrow. And then enjoy it all weekend long. The extravaganza taking place at the Federated Auto Parts Raceway at I-55 in Peevely, Missouri. Get details at 101ESPN.com. Cardinals versus the Twins tonight. Get excited. It's sunny gray day here in St. Louis. For Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. If you've missed any of the show today, be sure to check out the podcast page. We talked with Cardinals general manager Michael Gersh earlier today. So you'll find that on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com. The free 101 ESPN app. You can also check it out on YouTube, youtube.com slash 101 ESPN. We'll talk to you guys tomorrow at 11 a.m. The Fast Lane's coming up next. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.